Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on FUBAR Radio. Oh, that is such a great track, don't you think? I think starts, we uh, mean to continue. There won't be any words in any of the music that we play today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday Takeover here on Fabulous Food Bar Radio. My name is Marshall Julius. I'm a film critic, a blogger, and a blagger, and just call me a nerd. I've written a book called Vintage Geek. That's the, uh, that's the plug done. Um, anyway, I'm on here till 6 with the minds cranking up the nerdery to 11, maybe even 12. Um, to that end, I've brought help. Joining me today for our Nerdtastic Voyage, I see before me two cracking co-hosts, writer and producer Ron Fogelman. Hello. And, uh, and Fraser, raconteur, actor, producer. Say hello, Fraser. Hello. So thanks for coming on the show. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling comfortable? Very comfortable. Yeah, very These comfortable. seats here in, at Fubar Radio are amongst the best in the radio industry. No question at all. I agree. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I think everybody wants to know that we're comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so besides Ron and Fraser here, at about quarter past four, we'll be joined by double BAFTA-nominated filmmaker mm-hmm. and author John Walsh, but you didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's chatting about his work with the Ray and Dinah Harryhausen Foundation as it's stop-motion wizard Ray Harryhausen's centenary year. There's lots of monster-fueled fun uh, coming into uh, 2020, and we're excited to talk about that. Are we, um, allowed, to, uh, are we allowed to make dinosaur noises? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, have oh, you got one? Yes. <laughs> That's very, yeah. Okay, perhaps, perhaps not. Let's just <laughs> let's just revise that. Um, so uh, after after John one at around four forty five, we had John two, Dave Johns, veteran of the stand up circuit, really very funny bloke. And since taking the lead in uh, Ken Loach's I Daniel Blake in two thousand sixteen, he's a full on film star as well. So we'll be getting all actory with Dave later on. Have you guys seen I Daniel Blake? I have. Oh, excellent. Yeah, looking forward to that. Have you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it now on my iPhone. It's great. It's good, isn't it's it? It's fantastic. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I love it. So finally today at about quarter past five, we're welcoming musician Patrick Savage into the studio. Patrick's a distinguished concert violinist, so I don't know what he's doing here. And we're going to try <laughs> to get him to pluck something for us. Um, right now he's in the orchestra for Hamilton in the West End. He's also one half of composer... Uh, duo Savage and Spies they did uh, The Human Centipede The Human Centipede first I'm, sequence yeah. have you seen that? I have seen it have you seen that? no nope. no. I, I, it's my sounds, Christmas movie that sounds terrifying <laughs> I know kind of what it's about I've heard it doesn't sound very uh, doesn't sound very nice anyway <laughs> fingers crossed Patrick won't insist on me sewing my lips to his bum hole and we'll be able to engage in audible conversation um, <laughs> if you guys out there in unregulated radio land would like to get in touch with us ask questions contribute to the conversation or you know hurl abuse we are at Fubar Radio on everything, everything being Twitter, Facebook, and um, Instagram. Or you can uh, spill your brains um, over at Marshall Julius on my Twitter. And I think we're, uh, yeah, you can email us if you want at takeover at fubarradio.com. Um, I'm also open to telepathic transmissions. And hang on, I, I'm receiving something. It's my wife, Ruta, telling me, shut up, Marshall, give someone else a chance to speak. So. <laughs> Ron, um, yes. producer of the West End's mighty Twilight Zone show. Uh, Thank you. Um, I think I saw it five times when it was at the Ambassadors. I saw it, and that was um, all in one night. It was. <laughs> I just, I just held everyone at gunpoint and made them keep doing it over and over again. It was, 
It was brutal. Um, then, sorry, the Almeida beforehand. Then I saw it before. No, that doesn't make sense. Uh, the Almeida. Um, so what's next for the show? Well, we, uh, we had a set-up run at the Almeida, which was a, a fantastic experience. And then we were uh, afforded the chance to take the show to the West End. And we had a lovely season last year. And this was always because of the, the, the length and breadth of the material that the original Twilight Zone has. I mean, uh, there were 156 episodes originally. And what we're doing now is thinking about America, which is the is really the mothership. Most people in England only really know the theme tune. Uh, Marshall, can you give us a little rendition of the theme tune? <laughs> it's uncanny. It's like, it's almost like there's an orchestra in front of me right now. Um, so most people really know the theme tune. They don't actually even know what the theme tune is, but they know those uh, those bars of music. And uh, and people also know the terms. So if anything strange happens in the world, and let's face it, there's quite a lot of that right now, they know uh, they know the Twilight Zone as a term to use uh, when say Brexit happens or if a certain president gets into the United States. Um, so the, the interesting thing was that the show didn't play here in the, in the 1960s you know, in parallel with the US and bringing those stories here for the first time was an amazing experience to an audience that don't know them. Taking it to America will be a different experience because it is, the, it is really the Old Testament of TV over there. It's the most influential TV show in American TV history. Yeah, it's a much easier sell in America, isn't it? Because, like you said, so many people here, although it was, you know, significant to us and, you know, our type of nerd, um, a lot of people really here only know it as a brief sort of reference, don't they? Well, it, it comes with a great sense of responsibility, uh, you know, working with CBS, with the estates of two of the amazing writers that worked along with Rod Serling, Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson. And you really don't want to get it wrong. And here, uh, because the show's not so well known, uh, you know, if we made a mistake or didn't do things the way that it should have been done, uh, you know, no one really cared. But in America, they really will do. So we're thinking about what stories work, uh, you know, how to frame the show for America and hope to get that off maybe in the next 18 months. I think I mentioned several times I want you to do uh, The Howling Man, and you've already nixed that, but I'm just saying it again. <laughs> well, you just don't know. You see, it's the Twilight Zone. Anything can happen. It's a really good story. He lets him out, and he turns out to be the devil. Oh, you've gone. No spoiler alert. <laughs> That's basically. Oh, man, scrap the show uh, now. It's over. The, the other <laughs> thing, uh, because of, of spending so much time and, and, and research it, that, that I'm putting together is a, a documentary series about the original show, uh, which we also hope to get going on this year, and that should be very exciting, too, because the show has influenced everyone from J.J. Abrams who's probably the world's number one fan to people like Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad and Matt Wiener, who did Mad Men. They cite that show as the reason why they got into writing. And of course, Jordan Peele has his... Um, well, yeah, exactly. There's a new TV show which hasn't come to England yet, but it's uh, the second season starts in America, uh, I think, in April. And uh, they're really upping their game. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see. It's just a timeless series. And the original, we, we only really look at the original stories back from 59 to 64. Uh, but uh, they are a wealth of gold of storytelling. So, Fraser, I know you've got some extremely exciting theatrical productions coming up, including a stage version of Night of the Living Dead. George A. Romero's uh, birthday. I love that movie. Yes, George A. Romero's birthday today. So is that going to be a really very scary show? Are you kind of making it jokey? or what, No, what's the plan? it's not going to be scary at all. So I announced this show on George A. Romero's birthday a year ago. <laughs> Since then, there's been uh, two more productions of uh, Night of the Living Dead. So we've sort of... Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. Um, and we sort of we put it on hold so we weren't sort of oversaturating the market. But we're, um, yeah, it's going to be true to the film. It's going to be a scary experience. It's going to be promenade style. Um, so the audience will be involved at a certain point. Um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. And we, we've got some Hollywood set dresses in to make this thing. We want you to live it. That sounds sounds terrifying. Can't wait. (laughs) No, I can't wait either. Now, um, uh, Fraser, I know I had a stalk of your IMDb profile, and I see you're acting in a new film from legendary trauma madman (laughs) Lloyd Kaufman. It's called Shakespeare's Shitstorm. 
Shakespeare Shitstorm. Shakespeare Shitstorm. And you're playing William Shakespeare. I am. Would you care to shed some light on that madness? Yeah. I, uh, so I've known Lloyd for a while. Um, Lloyd Kaufman, who runs Troma, the longest independent, longest running independent film studio in the world, longer than Roger Corman, because Roger Corman sold to Sci-Fi. So he's now the only independent film studio in the world. Been running 45 years. Um, known him for a while. He came to me. He asked me to write some iambic pentameter for the film. Um, this is going to be his... Fraser, this is the last film I'm going to make before I die, he said. <laughs> so he's planning on that, I guess, at some point. But he, um, yeah, he asked me to write the iambic pentameter. Then he asked me to read for it, so the actor doing it. Then he said, do you want to be in it? <laughs> and I said, Sure. So I found myself suddenly on set playing William Shakespeare in uh, Lloyd Kaufman's Shakespeare Shitstorm, which is based on The Tempest. Based on The Tempest. I had a look on the IMDb, and the first picture I saw was a bloke sitting on the sofa, and he's got a giant penis instead of a head. So I'm guessing you deviate a little bit from the original story. We do. Prospero's curses do take on a slightly sexual overtone. Um, <laughs> there's some very strange stuff in this. I kept myself out of it. I, my, my, you know, Mine's an Oscar-winning performance in it. It's completely separate of from, course, all the, uh, expect no less. from all the giant penises. But there are giant penises. There are people being turned into all kinds of weird things. Um, there is, yeah. All kinds but at the, of... at the centre of this, Fraser, I remember you telling me that there's a, a heartfelt reason why you got into this, and, and it all comes down to a poster in your bedroom when you were a boy. Yes, oh, that story. Right, so yeah, I, had, I grew up with Lloyd Kaufman's posters on my walls, um, and eight years of age, I'm sitting there looking at those posters, thinking, who is this Lloyd Kaufman? He's doing this comic with Stan Lee, he's doing this comic with Marvel, and here I am. <laughs> 30 years later in one of his movies and I yeah that came out of nowhere well I had uh, Linda Carter um, you know TV's Wonder Woman on my wall sure. she hasn't turned up it's really upsetting give it another 30 years alright fair enough <laughs> ok now we're on and <laughs> as a subtle way uh, to keep plugging my book um, Vintage Geek uh, throughout the show today I'll be testing everyone's nerd IQ with a trio of individually fashioned trivia questions um, your chosen category is Stanley Kubrick so are you ready for your Vintage Geek challenge well here goes can I have a drum roll please Fraser that's a great drum roll Thanks. ok uh, I don't have a sound effect for that but if you get it right you get one of these and when you get it wrong you'll get one of these yeah. Okay, so you and don't that want, sound you don't effect want that. was delivered by Marshall personally. Yes. Yeah, and that it'll sound the same every single time. <laughs> Take okay. it away. Director Billy Wilder once told director Cameron Crowe that the first half of which Kubrick movie was the best picture I've ever seen? Parts of Glory. It's, it's, you know, it's, you it's, said it's, this was a quiz about Stanley Kubrick, not about Billy Wilder. What do yeah. I know about well, Billy Wilder? Which one of his films has two very distinct halves? Oh, it's, uh, it's got to be um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, there you go. Yeah. So I, I thought that. I, do that I get was, a half that, point for that? No, no, that, I'll, I'll give you this, but it's actually. Fair enough, okay. fair enough. I, you know, what can I say? Okay, question number two. What activity did Stanley Kubrick compare to trying to write War and Peace in a bumper car in an amusement park? Um, I would say probably 2001. No, no, what activity, not film? Well, not what activity. Oh, this question is impossible. <laughs> I know, sorry. I, can I just, I'm going to self <clears throat> myself yeah. because I've got no chance of directing, answering that question. Directing a film. That's, oh, it's, it's that's that an activity. Yeah, yeah, so I know. It, it seems so hard, and yet it was such an easy answer. I know. I just I know. don't self <clears throat> yourself in public. Just can I just the check that technically? Technically, okay. Um, question number three. I just want to get a, a, running, a running tally. Am I right in saying that two questions I've got zero? Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Good. No pressure then. Okay. Question number three. Though he was nominated for thirteen Academy Awards over the years, 
Ultimately, Stanley Kubrick only won once. In what category and for which movie did he win? Special visual effects for the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. In, uh, and um, No, no, that's good. Oh, Quit yeah? where you're ahead. Quit where you're ahead. And I've seen it. I've actually seen it because it was at that amazing exhibition, probably the best exhibition on film ever at the Design yeah. Museum. It was that was song. incredible, yeah. wasn't it? When I saw his Oscar, I thought it was like a mistake. It's like because he didn't do the special effects um, yeah. for the movie. I mean, he did, he, you know, he designed the film. It was very much him and Arthur C. Clarke, but he did not do the special effects. Or did he? Did he stay in his garage doing every single aspect well, of it? Well, interestingly, I'm reading the Taschen book on 2001 right now, and it's amazing how involved he was really on every aspect of filmmaking. This is, you know, no stone was left unturned. Everything was considered. The number of times that models were rejected because they had a slight scratch on or because they weren't using the right materials. He was, he was pretty thorough. That was good. I'm going to give you for the oh, extra information. Well, thank you. That's thank very you. impressive. I think uh, I'm feeling just I'm feeling a bit better about myself now. I was, uh, yeah. you know, the first two questions I, I felt disappointed. <laughs> okay, right. Let's take a breather and listen to some music. Excellent. We have Bernard Herrmann's Overture from the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad on. What better way to introduce our first guest today than with that exotic theme from Ray Herrenhausen's Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Ray, of course, being the ultimate practitioner of stop-motion special effects. And our guest here, John Walsh. Hello, John. Good afternoon, James. Being a trustee of the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, which preserves Ray's extensive collection and furthers the art of model stop-motion animation. Hello, John. Do you have a basement full of Ray Harryhausen toys? I wish I did, but sadly no. Oh. But there is a basement full of, or a large archive, full of his entire collection, 50,000 pieces. 50,000 pieces? What, most of them made by himself? Well, created for his production, so whether it's paperwork and photography or the creatures themselves. So we have 50,000 items, which makes it the largest outside of the Walt Disney Company. Wow. And it's much cooler, obviously, because it's Ray Harryhausen. Do they include the skeletons from Jason the Argonaut? Yeah, that's my question. (laughs) Yes, all of them. And the original skeleton, which was from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, because he actually became one of the children of the Hydra's teeth for Jason and the Argonauts. And we can identify which one he is. And can I have one? No. Okay. Worth a try. Can we all have one? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. John's actually nodding, but uh, okay. Let's now look. There's a lot of love still for Ray Harryhausen and his style of effects. Uh, they're not as slick as computer-generated uh, creatures, and I think there's there's more life in them because of that. I often post about Ray's films on Twitter, and people regularly bemoan the soulless effects of today, saying how they wished his style of effects were still being used. Is that realistic, though? I mean, do you think? that people are just speaking nostalgically and actually if we did stop motion on everything live action as well as animation that people would really go for that well look it's a question we regularly get asked you know is it an extinct um, technique well there's more stop motion on television and in cinema today than there was at any time when ray was working so there are more exponents of it from james and the giant peach um box trolls um, Coraline, the, Coraline, yeah, the like Isle of Lake Dogs. Yeah. You know, there's all those wonderful stop motion films that Tim Burton kind of inspired. Even, even Animalisa. I don't know if you saw that the Charlie yes. Kaufman movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so the, there's more of it. So the technique's still relevant. Can it be used in a mainstream um, remake, if you like, of one of Ray's films? Well, that's what we're in the process of doing. You know, we have the unmade follow-up to Clash of the Titans, Force of the Trojans, which is in f- official development now. And so that's the question we get asked: Will there be stop motion? What happens to CG? And, you know, what did Ray think of CG? Did he hate it? You know, and he didn't. He saw it as a, 
an extension of what he was doing. Mm. You know, colour was an extension of his work when colour came in. When widescreen anamorphic came in, he, he adopted that. They nearly filmed in 3D. So Ray would have eventually have... He was a... You know, he was an innovator, so he would have been embraced new technologies. So eventually he would have got round to computers, I guess, but he saw it as a digital pencil. When I was a kid, um, Ray Harryhausen was the first filmmaker, the first behind-the-scenes person that I was ever aware of. And, uh, you know, we would go and see films because they were presented as Ray Harryhausen films. And certainly, I mean, before we were interested in any directors, or really any actors, to be honest, um, you know, we knew what we were going to get from that. It was a guarantee of something special, you know, something beyond the kind of rubbery antics of Doug McClaw films, although I do love Warlords of Atlantis or, or Men in Suits from Godzilla films I Ray hated uh, Men in Suit Godzilla movies um, or just blown up photography of lizards and people with, reacting with a fin I remember seeing Ray give a talk and it was amazing and he brought some of the, the models with him at the Royal Horticultural Hall in my lord 1980 Gosh. where he gave a talk about how the, the effects were, were rendered how he pioneered them and actually showed us he had a skeleton and I think he had one, something called Clash of the Titans and he was a phenomenal man he was, you know, he was, he was a, an industry in himself. So he would create the creatures, he would write the storylines, he was co-producer of the films, he would do the animations, the lighting, the miniature sets and so on. So he was the only person involved in those sequences. Was Ray extremely important to you when you were a kid? Yes, I guess so. I mean, I used to go to the cinema to see those sorts of films when I was a, an 18-year-old film student, which was only a couple of years ago, Marshall. Yes. <laughs> um, I met him when I was a film student and made a documentary about his life and work. So I stayed in touch all the years and uh, I became a trustee of his foundation. So we would talk about, you know, new trends, whether it's in television or film or the re-release of his films. He was very excited when DVD came along and then later on Blu-ray. So there was lots of questions around to what extent you should and can restore his work. And we had a kind of a little debate around the kitchen table as to how far that should go. And uh, it went something like this. Um, he got a call from Columbia Pictures that's looked after now by Sony and do a very good job. They were doing the Blu-ray for Jason and the Argonauts. And Ray said to me, I've been contacted by Grover Crisp was the head of the archive there at Sony. It's a wonderful name, Grover yeah, Crisp. It sounds, sounds like, like a Muppet. Yeah. Well, or it sounds like a biscuit, doesn't it? Would you like a Grover Crisp? Oh, I would yeah. like a I, Grover have you got Crisp. One? Oh, I wish I had. Wish I had. <laughs> and, uh, Can he, I have a Grover Crisp light, please? <laughs> <laughs> or an Oreo version. Sponsored by Grover Crisp. And so he said, look, Ray, we're doing the remaster. We're going to stabilise the image. Of course, we're going to give it stereo sound. We're going to remove any dirt and scratches, which is standard. Do you want any string or wire removal? Because in high definition... You can see that. And I was like, oh, no, no. You know, and Ray was like, oh, I think I will. And uh, I was like, what's your choice? And so there was a bit of a debate about, is that a step too far? Is that colouring the past? Um, but Ray went on to colour his black and white film. So but there you go. Still, I, I, don't, I, I, want to see, I want to see the strings and the wires. Do you know something? Yeah. I, you know, I grew up with, uh, with people like Marshall, who is... Uh, can we uh, declare this on radio? Yeah, yeah go yeah, for okay. it. Go for We're lovers. Marshall and I'm sorry. Our cousins. Our cousins. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out there I'm and so declare sorry. it. But, but, so when I grew up, I had to put up with people like Marshall. But one of the amazing <laughs> things is that in Los Angeles, Ray became very close friends with Ray Bradbury who, you know, the, the fantasy author of Illustrated Man and the Martian Chronicles. And you just think, wow, imagine just two incredible people that contrib contributed so much to the genre becoming lifelong friends from childhood uh, and then working together, I think, on Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms. They did. They uh, worked that on, was amazing. They worked on that. There was another project they didn't work on, but as men, they were polar opposites. Mm -hmm. Ray Bradbury was outspoken, an outspoken liberal who would, would 
who would decry a, a production if he didn't like it. Martian Chronicles, he did the press tour of that, just slacing it to every, every member of the press that would sit in front of him, saying, I hate this series, I hate what they've done to my, to my book. And whereas Ray Harryhausen would say pretty much nothing at all. If, um, you know, if somebody uh, wanted him to, to, to do a bit of gossip about a, a film person, he famously based Medusa on someone who was a famous Hollywood actress, and he wouldn't say until she died who that was. Whereas I imagine Ray Bradbury would have just been like, I'll tell you who it is. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? We're, we're, we're oh. not the same question. <laughs> well, I think Marshall knows the answer to this, but uh, if you guys want to have... You're no, 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 Ah, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, so when I do tours and talks at Comic Con, we, we put the pictures together and people go, oh, And Joan course. Crawford famously had a head full of snakes as well, didn't she? She did, life. and when so people looked at her, at least a very, part of them turned to stone. Yeah, it was very <laughs> <In> her younger <laughs> years. This is very harsh. Very, very harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Before the watershed as well, I'm quite yeah. shocked. <laughs> for listeners, oh, you can say I'm anything red. you want. I, yeah. As long as it's amusing. So, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm off then. Um, <laughs> now, look, at the, end of a, at the end of most blockbusters today, uh, when the credits just go on and on and on, don't they? And you often see, like, thousands of names. I mean, literally it's thousands of names sometimes who worked on the effects. Multiple effects houses, people, some people just coming in to do, I don't know, hair on the, the, you know, Rocket Raccoon's head and smoke effects. And it's just, it, it's enormous. When I think that actually Ray... Yes, just did the effects all by himself in his workshop um, in, in, in his house in, in London. Mm. And that uh, he did have some help, but it was what his, his mum made the costume sometimes, his on, dad made the armatures. Yeah. On some of the early films. Yeah. Well, yeah, he did the, it all himself. The fact is, I mean, it, it's art. I mean, the, yeah. uh, the work of the foundation, which is is excellent, is yes, some aspects of storytelling might seem a bit dated. We, we do everything in our house to encourage our kids to watch old movies and get the vocabulary so they can appreciate them. And I have to say that, that my youngest boy, uh, the youngest son, Leo, he, he resists old movies most of the time. But I put on Seventh Voyage of Sinbad for him. And it was just created a sense of wonder. He's he's was completely transfixed, and it didn't matter that some of the effect techniques were fifty years old. He absolutely loved it. So yeah, bring the sequel on for Clash of the Titans. Bring it all back. It's lovely. Well, look, even from a commercial point of view, the film. Some of them have been scanned in four K. I had a four K premiere screening of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad last year at the Regent Street Cinema. There's money to be made. You know, Sony are not doing this to keep us happy. Yeah. They're doing this because there is a market for back catalogue releases scanning now in 4k if we all have 4k machines here put your hands up is it just me i yeah, don't like 4k you. no but actually between us we've got 4k okay. if we add our machines together i've got like i got most of a k yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i got most well of you know k. films like the shining and all that are being re-released and it just it's wonderful you know to be able to see more detail and if people are going to pay yet again the star wars films are coming out in 4k mm-hmm. which will be interesting because um, two of them were shot in 2k Two so are they going to play them both at the, on like one on top of the other or something? Yeah, because not? that's really going to be Hayden confusing. Christensen going to be every speed. character? Is that I mean, you know, Possibly. as opposed to just yeah. Possibly. Do you actually like 4K? Uh, a good friend of mine, I went to his house. I watched a load of 4K movies, and he was like really excited about it. And um, I was thinking, this just looks horrible. I mean, this is, it's like real life. It's like looking out of a window. But I do not watch films because I want them to be like real life. I want that kind of layer of kind of oh no movie now sheen. I agree. It's, it's the settings. So if you have it at the factory setting you receive your television in, it will look like it's videotape. 
Whereas to give it that proper strobe effect of a cinema screen, you need to go into your settings and remove some of the HDRs. You need to turn them off. Mm. So you can kind of trial and error that. But once you get it right, it will work and it will be lovely. Or you could just watch a Blu-ray or a VHS, yes. glorious 240. <laughs> you could do that. But, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's put 4K down now. now uh, John, you've written a wonderful book called Harry House and the Lost Movies, just in case you'd forgotten. You have, you yes. have written it. It's a wonderful book. Um, it's full of incredible art and uh, info on the many, many projects that Ray tinkered with over the years but didn't quite manage to make. Um, when you were researching this book, were you kind of uh, surprised by the sheer like, number of uh, films that Ray wants to get made that, that never happened? Yes, because Ray would speak about the films that were made. Fine. When I used to ask him, what about Sinbad Goes to Mars? Well, I don't want to talk about that. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, can't um, we just interview Ray Harryhausen here? It's like, <laughs> that's that's very good. That is really good. Really, I shouldn't really do that, but Vanessa, his daughter, said it's fine. And when you know him for that many years, his voice, he sounds like Charlton Heston to me in my head. So when I first met him, he's very tall and massive fingers. So I'd ask him, you know, what about these other films? <laughs> oh, sorry, that's a lot of detail. That should be yeah. his biography title. <laughs> that, that, well, so th- that's amazing, yeah. actually, that he could do all that fine work with massive fingers, because I can't even text properly. And I've and seen you probably, try to make an airfix kit, it's a disaster. It's so. just well, a little disaster. known fact is all of those miniatures were, in fact, 200 foot high. So he uses yeah, massive true. fingers. Well, his, his daughter described his hands as bunches of bananas right. because they were, they, were, they were like that. So, um, so Ray would be reluctant to talk about the films that are unmade because it's quite a painful creative experience to go through and, and recant those stories. So when we came to put the book together, instead of having one person do the forward, I contacted different filmmakers I knew and said to them, well, look, this is what Ray Harryhausen has in the cupboard. What about you, John Landis? What about you, Guillermo del Toro, John Borman, Mike Hodges, and Nicholas Meyer, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Quite a mix of filmmakers there, all fans of Ray Harryhausen, mm. and they all told me something about their own unmade projects in relation to Ray's vast amount of unmade projects. And it was a form of therapy. They all felt a bit better because they didn't realise Ray had nearly 80 projects that were unrealised. 80, can wow. you imagine? That's crazy. And, and he moved here, didn't he? He lived here. He lived here since the uh, early 1960s. Uh, which is, uh, so two of the greatest filmmakers, particularly in genre, Stanley Kubrick and Ray, moved to England, which you find you know, well away from the centre of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, that's quite interesting, and possibly for the same reason. No. No? Because Ray moved here specifically for the yellow sodium backing process, which was cheaper to do through rank laboratories okay. than it was to do... Um, through deluxe. Yeah, you idiot. You're such a moron. You know, go away. Have go away. That was exactly the same reason why I started <laughs> Be with the right sentiment. <laughs> I, I was yellow lying. sodium process, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> no, Don't no. want to cause a family friction here. It's not Christmas, is it? You know? <laughs> it's all right. I'm always put in my place, so I'm, I'm used to this part it's, of the uh, studio. I mean, realistically, Ray would have needed three or four lifetimes at the rate that he worked. Um, mm. I mean, the, the, the uh, Jason and the Argonauts uh, skeleton sequence, how long did that take? Like four, four and a half months or it something? It did, yes. And originally the film sequence for that was going to be set at night time. It was going to be set in hell. So when you see the uh, seven-headed hydra, the seven-headed hydra is guarding the entrance to Hades. And so when Jason takes the fleece, he flees into Hades because he's chased there by the hydra. And there he disturbs dead soldiers. And they come to life from their graves and attack him and his men. The censors said, no, if you want a family certificate, no. So you cannot set a bewitched sequence like that at twilight or nighttime. It has to be 
No brunch. They were like, how much, how much <laughs> yellow sodium have you been drinking? <laughs> I mean, I know everyone, no. <laughs> everyone defaults to the skeleton sequence as the, the standout scene, but the That's one great. I remember seeing when I was five on TV, and it would have been in black and white, that's the first time I saw Jason, but it's Talos. He's just an amazing creation and just intimidating and unrelenting, and I just seeing him and also the way that the Jason and his team, the Argonauts, knocked him out, that, that itself is just incredibly inventive and powerfully uh, visual. But that's the one for me. Well, it's great. You know, it's a great sequence. And these films are regularly talked about, re-released. Jason's in 4K, so we're hoping a 4K uh, release of that will be coming out shortly. So uh, through your research, um, obviously uh, you, you know about every film that he, he wants to make that he didn't make. But is there one that you find particularly heartbreaking? Like if you could go back in time and you could say, Ray, I'm going to give you the money, I'm going to make it happen. Um, and he would say, OK, but let's just use the time travel machine. He'd but, get his uh, fingers ready, his big banana fingers. He'd, he'd, he'd click them together. He would get his banana fingers and he would say, which one? Which one <laughs> well, is it that you I, yeah, would like to make? I, th- I think the one that which would change his trajectory. You know, we talk about the butterfly effect. You know, when you do one thing, it changes everything. When Ray envisaged War of the Worlds before George Powell, oh, wow. it would have been on tripoded legs. Ray did sketches, Ray did paintings. He also did test footage of the Martians, which you can see in my book. And, and, on, and on YouTube, probably. Was it, was it period clips. set? Or and was it, it? it was pretty much period set. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about it was that he discussed that with George Powell, who then went and secured the rights for himself. Uh, and, uh, ouch. And that's not the only time that happened. It happened again. With George Powell. With George Powell for Time Machine. George Powell just stayed at home with a notepad waiting for him to ring and went, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, mate. That's what terrible. Next? So, you know, I mean, I, I'm. Producers, I'm, huh? Producers, yeah. I. Yeah. Scum, 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 scum of the earth. But, you know, so Twilight fair, Zone comes out later this year from me. <laughs> um. <laughs> they were good friends. You know, George Powell and Ray Harryhausen were good friends. So it's often the case that if we were all producers, we might be chasing the new John Grisham book and, you know, one of us might get it. So. Yeah. Not me, I'm not interested. But, uh, you know, if, if we were no, producers I'm not interested. Are you genre. interested? I'm good. I yearn to tell the story of a man with banana hands. Yes. Now. Yes, Mr. That's, banana Hands. That's what I was going to call it. it. Damn you, Fraser. Okay, June 29, this year marks the centenary of Ray's birth. Obviously, um, sadly, he's no longer with us, uh, but his films are and his fans are. Um, you're working hard, I know, on various centenary events and celebrations for the summer. What can you, what can you tell us to, what, what we can expect? Well, we have a major exhibition taking place in Scotland at the National Gallery's um, exhibition space at the museum there. The National Gallery of Scotland. And we're having the entire collection on show for the very first time in its fully restored state. So our, our conservator has been working on, on um, all of the creatures. I saw the full-size kraken, which is a, is a full size of a man's torso, so about this sort of wow. size. Uh, for people watching on radio, they can't tell what I'm doing, but I'm pointing to the top of my head and my midriff. And uh, I yeah, describe don't picture him, that, everyone. <laughs> well, maybe you do. Um, I describe him as Love Island Kraken because he looks really now buffed up and looks, looks, you know, looks amazing. Um, so the creatures will be seen better than ever before. We're going to show some footage, uh, test footage from race films and so on. So there's lots to see in screenings. We're doing, I think, some stuff with the Edinburgh Film Festival as well. We're also touring the exhibition. We're working with the Oscars Museum on their launch, which will be December this year. And we're speaking to the Lucas Museum of Narrative Film and Arts. When does that open? I'm not sure. But um, they've asked us to be part of that, so we've said yes. Well, gents, I think we've got a road trip when's to, the, uh, to when's Scotland. When's the opening yeah, party? Sounds amazing. <laughs> That's great. Busy year. I saw the San Diego Comic Con are doing. Um, they've asked for art commissions as well for right. Harryhausen for the brochure. Which yes, I that's was, right. Which I thought was lovely. Yes, I think that's going to be. 
Lovely to see. So moving on from Ray, uh, now I know you're also a huge fan, John, of the camp cult classic Flash Gordon, as Ooh. are we all, I'm assuming. Um, 40 years old this year. Um, you're working on something quite special for that, cash in on that, right? Is that what you're up to? I am, and it's... it's I um, mean to pay p- due homage to is it. Is it a Peter Duncan homage. Q&A? It is. Duncan Peter. In Spare four- me the madness! <laughs> in 4K. In 4K, no um, No, I'm, I'm working on the first and only official making of Flash Gordon book. Um, right. In fact, I delivered the first draft this Friday to Titan Books, and the last draft, um, first week of March. So it's been quite frantic for the last year. It's taken me um, a year to get this project together. It's with King Features, the rights holder for Flash Gordon. And I'm working with Studio Canal, who are the owners now of the Flash Gordon film. And they're working on a new 4K scan, which will be released in May-June time. Are are you getting, like, uh, a couple of pounds every time you say 4K, John? Because I'm I'm detecting, you know, there's a bit of a thing. He's trying to bump it up to 8K. He really likes 4K, yeah. Give me 8K or give me 10. Just tell him that we've all got 5K machines. 16K. Well, I think the the really significant thing about it is that there's lots of films from when Ray was making Jason and Clash and so on that were pushed through the Oscars corridor by the studios that were considered to be main pictures that have sat on the shelf and haven't even been scanned for Blu-ray. So it's almost a badge of status, you know. It's it's, it's an award to say, we're taking this library release and we're going to do something special and we're going to do this UHD. Right, so John, (laughs) it is time now for your Vintage Geek Challenge. Uh, Three cheeky questions about your chosen subject, Flash Gordon. Um... Are you ready? I am. Ah. <laughs> Excellent. That actually wasn't the first question, but it was a question. So, uh, so, so far, the, the, the uh, record is one, one out of three. Can you beat one out of three? Uh, but I won that, uh, and I deserved it. You know, I really well, honestly, the second question was rubbish. <laughs> the way that I, I just I look at it, it's terrible. But still... I, I can't I give it to you. It just wouldn't be fair to John. We live and learn. Yeah. But I, I'm all about prizes, so what incentivizes me here? Have I got another book? Okay, question one. <laughs> an extra, an extra question 2K. One, no one dies in the palace without what? Without Ming's approval. Without permission from the emperor himself. Well, what, what do we say? The, the, the direct quote is a command from the emperor. Do we yeah, give that to him? Yeah, no, we give that no, he's asked the question. You didn't ask for a quote. I think, yeah. uh, okay. even, even though it works yeah, against yeah, yeah. me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I'm just checking. Okay, 4K. that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Referring to the production problems that plagued the film, who described Flash Gordon as the only improvised $27 million movie ever made? Oh, the brilliant Mike Hodges, who's written the foreword for my new book. This boy Excellent. Well. Like you yeah. got him to write the foreword. Yes, indeed. It's, yeah. it's the book in 4K. Oh. It is. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, question number three. For three out of three, and the grand prize, um, Ming the Merciless says that when he destroys a planet, he calls upon the great god Daizan. Daizan is Japanese for what? Destroyer? No. Hoover? That's a good guess. Hold Hoover. on. Hoover. Do, do, do this sound. I got this sound every five minutes. Thank you very much. Jeremy Daizan? That's harsh. God of- it's, it's great cruelty. Oh. My thesaurus would say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, well, uh, that, look, the movie, that's very good. Two out of three, still ahead, yeah. still ahead of other people. Yeah, but it was okay. only three questions on one movie. I had to deal with 12 from Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> you were the one that said Stanley Kubrick. You yeah, could have made it about, you, you could have said, I want it about me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, you have to think ahead. You have to think ahead. Um, the movie was produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis, right? Um, 
he and Sam Jones really... Is it true they really hated each other? Um, I wouldn't say that they hated, but there was lots of problems on the film. This book is, for the first time, speaking to all the participants. And in the case of the great Dino De Laurentiis, of whom I'm an enormous fan and admirer, I managed to speak to Martha De Laurentiis, his wife. I've spoken to all of the production personnel that, who are still with us, and some who aren't have um, lent me their last interviews from family and friends. So Dino fell out with Sam because um, Sam walked off the picture before they finished it. So there was lots of big disputes. Sam got into fights during filming. He was dubbed as well, right? Is that true? He was, he was, yeah, he was, he was looped in by yeah. other actors in certain yeah. scenes because they had to because they didn't have Sam for it. Right. But most frustratingly, and I think this is where everyone agrees, including Sam, it was a big mistake. When they were doing all of the, um, the soft PR on couches like Good Morning America and so on and, uh, and Breakfast News, had it been here at the time, they were sending Max von Sydow, who was a brilliant actor but quite dry person to speak yeah. to, when, of course, you want to see Flash from Flash Gordon and, yeah. and Dale Arden and so on. So he wasn't available for all of those tours. And I think that's what helped the film not punch through in America. Whereas in Europe and in Asia, it did extremely well. In the US, it wasn't a great, a great start. But um, a little interesting fact that even um, most of the people didn't know on the f- production, of which the book is full of, <laughs> Dino tried to buy Pinewood Studios because he was going to make three Flash Gordons back-to-back. Oh, God, I would have loved that. Would have I would loved have loved that. that. Exactly. We're in well, we're a little, symbiotic. A little, bit, a little bit of trivia. I actually met Dino De Laurentiis. I went to his house and Martha was there. And right. it was uh, I was working at Universal Studios at the time and doing distribution deals on the movie Hannibal. And a lot of distributors came in and were asking for lots and lots of money. So I sold Japan, and that went for $14 million alone. And when people went into negotiation, they said, well, look, you've got Anthony Hopkins, but you don't have Jodie Foster. And Dino said, and I'm sorry, I'm going to do a crude, uh, hopefully not an offensive Italian impression, but he said, the movies are not called a Clarice. The movies are called the Hannibal. And that, yeah, that was pretty offensive. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm yeah. sorry. I really so sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I lo- that was that approved by Dino. Shell. I love Super Mario. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me. It's a me. Dino. Well, John, thank you so much for coming in. And, and uh, John's book, uh, Ray Harrison, The Lost Movie, is available to buy everywhere. Uh, all good bookshops, most bad bookshops, probably just everywhere. Everywhere. And today it's been nominated for a Rondo Award. So congratulations. Congratulations. Right. So let's listen to some more music we have the ecstasy of gold from the good bad the ugly onio morricone gosh another amazing track there um Let's just listen to this again because I really love it. Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on FUBAR Radio. Okay, so earlier we kind of uh, touched on Kubrick um, only winning the uh, special effects Oscar. And uh, I did a bit of research on uh, directors, great directors who never won um, a uh, Best Director Oscar. And, um, you know, Kubrick's not alone. Uh, Hitchcock never won. Um, Crime. Sidney Lett, Lumet never won. Crime. Um, Howard Hawks, Sergio Leone. Um, from the art house set, you've got uh, Kira Kurosawa, Goddard, Bergman. Um, you know, do you think that the Oscars actually gets it wrong more than it gets it right? I think that for the... I'm sorry, Fraser, if I interrupt yeah, you. Okay, I, I think that the Oscars and BAFTA and, and all of these awards serve a great purpose, and that is that they get people talking about the movies. And sometimes that can be in hot 
you know, frantic debate, you know, I love this one, I hate this one. Whatever encourages people to go and see movies, go to the cinema, which is even better, that's fantastic. But, you know, ultimately, what's the success of a movie and, and of a director? And I think it's the legacy of, of how long their work is remembered for. So if you go year on year and see the movies, that the best of Hitchcock, and look at the other movies that came out at that time, well, you work out which ones are being talked about now and which have been long since forgotten. That's the real victory, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's no longer... It's not a sign of... It's not a sign, as you said, it's not a sign of accomplishment. The, the, you've got to remember the voting, the people that are voting are not necessarily the... Uh best people to judge well hang on there I, d- I did vote for the BAFTAs so well that's we a perfect example we are that's really. a perfect so I'm definitely example. not going to take them seriously but now. It's, such a wide, it's such a wide pool of people that it's it's almost impossible to find a consensus right I mean it's it's very difficult and the reasons why people vote and how they vote at a certain time as a snapshot uh, it, it, you know it's, it's I think it is true that you tend to, to remember the movies you most recently saw and so if you're like 1917 and you're the last movie people saw you're going to get more votes if yeah. it's a good film yeah. it's just the way it works I just voted in the golden raspberries and how did you how did you uh, I, uh, he voted I, for himself I, I, voted, uh, Shakespeare yeah, I was trying to get i was trying to get myself on stage um, <laughs> the ultimate consummate publicist yeah okay now let's say um hello to our next guest um, live via the modern wonder of telephonica it's comedian writer and actor dave johns hello dave hello live from the tune how are you doing dave i'm great i'm live from the tune i've just went for a big long walk along the coastline today and i just rushed back to get back for you, for, for, for you on this fabulous show. Well, I'm thank very you. well, Marshall. Nice to hear your lovely dulcet tones. And I must say, you've got beautiful soft skin. I do, I do. I smell delicious too. You do, you do smell Yeah, delicious. can you just mention that, please? We, had, we, we talked about this, all right? Let's just... No. Uh... Okay. Yes, let's not talk about that. Okay, so how Dave. Are you? How's it going? It's I'm going. Good. It's I'm, going very well. I got. I got lots of searing questions for you. Things that right, really okay. get into the meat and 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 the gristle yeah. of your find life. Find out who I am. Yes. <laughs> no, go everyone, go Dave. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Okay, here we go. First question, Dave. You have enjoyed a long and successful career in stand-up comedy. You have appeared as a guest on the likes of Nevermind the Buzzcocks and um, Eight Out of Ten Cats. At the age of sixty, you seized movie stardom with the leading role in I Daniel Blake, and have since carved out a career as a movie star. But now you're oh, here talking to me. What went wrong? What went wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 you know, this is everything's got to come to an end, hasn't it? Everything's got to come to an end. And what better my end than talking in in shite to you all day? <laughs> It's true. Well, you had to. You just had to accept it, really. I suppose. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I did. No, no, no. It's been great. It's been great. I've, 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 as you know, I'm having a ball. You know, it's sixty-three years of age. You know, it, you, you know. I mean, like it's sixty. You, you know, to to to, to get to make films, it's good. It's a completed. And I've got a. He has a little bit of a, an excuse for you. Um, um, in March, I'm. I've got. I'm playing it. <laughs> I'm playing a drag queen in the next film. <laughs> so it's a, is that um, autobiographical then? No, 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 no. I was just—I just think it's quite a, an interesting little part, and I've always wanted to get, get an excuse to get you know dressed up. And uh, in the, a friend of mine who was in uh, every, everybody loves Jamie, mm. says the hardest thing is to—he says get the heels on quickly. You know, get used to wearing heels because of the most difficult thing. So since I've been got the part i've been walking around in um seven inch heels i think they're a bit big for me i should have got smaller ones and just built up so i've got yeah so <laughs> don't they sink into the mud when you're going for a bit of a hike <laughs> what 
Don't they I've sink into hiking, the mud? I've got hiking heels. I've got hiking high heels. <laughs> Dave, is there any truth to the rumours, and there have been a lot of them this week, that you're the next James Bond? Oh, wouldn't that be great if you're James Bond? Eh? Eh? No, I would I'm love to see that. You'd have to be better I'm, than Daniel Craig. Yeah. Or I'd Gollum, like, as I call him. I'll knock your block off, Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that, that is the next James Bond quote. We've Would, had them all. We've had, you know, do you expect me to talk? But no, I'm going to knock your block off, Blofeld. That's genius. I want a T-shirt with that on. I've got to say, it's and, when Dave said it. And, and I'll be stationed in it, so my lair would be an older band than mine. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, uh, and in and drag. I'd have robot pit ponies. I'd have robot pit ponies. In drag, you could also play Miss Money, yeah, Penny. You could double yeah. up. Well, that's it, yeah. I've been just play all the roles. One, Twice the... Half a tuxedo, <laughs> half a dress on, with a wig on one side. You just change angles. <laughs> Twice the paycheck as well, that's great. Yeah, Dave, yeah, you know, yeah. I remember I remember Dave when we first met uh, at the Critics Circle Awards, the one in which I, I didn't give you the uh, award for was Best there. Actor. Yes, you I were. Know. I had to give it to Andrew Garfield instead, and you told my wife know, not to have sex with me for a whole year, so... Thank know, you, thank you for that. Andrew Garfield wouldn't have sex with you. With no, the whole not year. for a whole year. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. So, I, I, but when we first met, uh, I remember uh, my wife. She said that uh, you know I'd been very uh, kind of affected. Honestly, uh, you know, I Daniel Blake. It's it's a very sad film. It makes you angry and sad. Um, not sleepy, but angry and sad. And uh, my wife said that I wanted to give you a hug, and, 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 and you know we embraced, and uh, we, we you know it was it was a magic moment, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the same awards when... Because uh, I was at one awards when... when Doesn't remember. When, <laughs> I do remember. Okay. Yeah, no, but when I was at Lords that time. But is that the one where... Um, when Hugh Grant won something as well? Because he came up to me after I'd, after he'd won the award, he said, you should have won Best Actor. And I said to him, well, give us it then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a, knock, a, a knock your block off. Yeah, I was I, that I, kind I, of I, annoying I, that he won for Paddington too, and you yeah, didn't get. Yeah, and because I had him, because I had the Jordy accent, he probably thought he's going to take this office. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, got, he quickly got in a cab and went <laughs> home to a fight in the toilets. <laughs> I don't know why yes, I remember that very well. I remember that very well, Mark. So what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, kind of funny is your default setting, and you hadn't really acted, you know, in, in that capacity before. How is it Ken Loach came to pick someone whose stock in trade is, you know, being silly and taking the piss? I think, I think Ken, being serious, Ken, Ken, Ken likes working with comedians, and the reason why he likes working with comedians because he says we're good at communicating. And you know, I, I, I mean, and I, because what he means is that we go up on stage in front of, you know, hundreds of strangers and we have to try and make each one of those people who are in the audience feel as though you're talking to them and in like you're their best mate. And I think that's what he meant by that is that, you know, and, and I just got it through, through, a, through, through a friend of mine said, text Kayleen Crawford, who was the casting director, and I did, and it all came about. I think I've, I've told you before, uh, Kayleen showed me the text after I'd, been to the um, where when it won the bath and she said, I've still got your text and um, and I read it back and it said hi my name's Dave Johns I'm a 59 year old stand up comic I hear Ken Roach is looking for a bloke to be in his new film I'd be up for that and she said Ken pissed himself laughing and then, and then basically got me in for casting I just did an audition you know I did a couple of auditions and got the part so it was unbelievable, really, like, you know. And you had a really wild ride with it after it came out. It was like, oh, the critics oh. loved it. And you travelled the world um, promoting oh, it, God, didn't it you? Oh, God, it crazy, man. I mean, you know, we went to Cannes. We went to, you know, Isabel Hubert. I met her five times on red carpets, and she kept coming over to me and going, 
I love Dave Eden. People come to me, how do you know Isabel, Isabel Hubert? And I was going, oh, we've been known mates for, 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 for years. She used to be a welder. <laughs> you know, but now I got on really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Went to all these festivals. Went to all these. You know, I had Vin Vinders come over and give us a big cuddle in 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 uh, in in in, a, in the in the um, European Film Awards. It was just crazy. Just all this mad, mad, mad thing for a year. It was bonkers, you know. And then and then the Bastards and and and. Uh, you know, I haven't won a BAFTA for ages. I know, doesn't it strike <laughs> you as wrong, um, uh, all the awards? I'm noticing they have a, a severe lack of Dave Johns. That, I think I'm just losing interest in them. I think what it is, is I think what it is, is that, you know, I, I, I don't think... I think the things that, that I've done after Daniel Blake have been very feel-good and, like, Fisherman's Friends, you know, it did really well. It, 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 it did great at the box office and they're making Fisherman's Friends too. But I don't think it was going to win anything at Cannes or at the Baptist. But then again, you know, there's films that win awards and there's films that are very successful and don't win awards. And, and, and you know, the audiences love them, you know. I think that's, that's the way it is. I think I, I think I came in on my first film and won all those awards. I think I've set the benchmark a bit high. <laughs> <laughs> what about your next film? Because I know that uh, that's coming out in September, I think. Is it 23 Walks? Yeah, with Alison Stedman, with, with a two-hand. That's about two Two, two people in their 60s who meet on 23 dog walks. And we filmed it over over a year, so we've got, like, the seasons. We've got, you know, autumn, summer, and, and, and spring, and in uh, and, and, and winter. And so we filmed it two-week blocks, and it's about these two people who meet on, on a dog, walking the dogs, and it's about their relationship. And, yeah, it's fabulous. We were out with Sedman. What a laugh she is. We had such a heat, you know? And, and, and basically, I saw the... Um, I saw the screen a couple of weeks ago, and, and I still can't used to watching myself on 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 screen. But but it's like because I'm in this film more than I'm in Daniel Blake. It was just all the time. It was just me and her. And I was going, "This is going to rest every scene." And when it's every scene, you don't get any sort of rest to go. Oh well, you know, until I come up again. So that was quite weird to see yourself in every single scene in the film. Are you oh, much of a Are you much of a dog person, Dave? No, no, no! I'm not. I'm not a dog person at all. So I should win a, a BAFTA because I look like I love that dog. <laughs> the performance of a lifetime. And my missus says she 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 came and saw the saw saw saw, saw it as well the um, the screen and she said it looked like you were really in love with that dog. It's the same with it's the same with when I'm like like. Was you know, she worried? Things. Well, well, no. I just think that you know. Um, it does look like no. I'm, I'm not a dog lover at all. I I, I I I I don't hate dogs. I just don't have have any affinity to them because I've never had one. You know. You should probably not say things like that when you're doing the publicity. Yeah. I don't no, hate no, dogs. No, newspaper, no, newspaper tomorrow. Dog hating actor. Dog acting BAFTA winner. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that, yeah, but it's like if you're doing like Star Wars, I don't go. Oh, have you ever been in space before? Oh, no, I've never been in space before. Oh, no, no, I've never felt. Before. I've never thought a Dalek. I mean, you know, it's just fact, isn't it? No, you're but right. No, I love I dogs, dogs, but I couldn't finish a whole one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't kick dogs. I don't. I'm not cruel to dogs. I just don't have any sort of either way. You know. I'm would you cross dogs. the road to stop someone else kicking a dog, though? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I would always save it. Would you? Would, would you yeah. fight a Dalek in space to stop a dog getting hurt? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, fine. No, oh, I'll do now. all that. 
We've saved it, guys. We've saved it. Okay, I think we put. I'm just listening to this. Nothing to add. Get the PR team off it. We're good. Okay, so in the Dave, in the wrestling movie you made a few years back, Walk Like a Panther, you squeezed into some extremely skimpy and revealing spandex outfits to toss your opponents around the ring. In 23 Walks, I understand you filmed your first sex scene. I was wondering if you feel the pressure to show more flesh as you get older. You've got. Honestly, mate, I'll tell you this, right? We did this this, 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 this sex scene in... 23 walks. Yeah. <laughs> and the shag. In the set to me, the set to me, you've got to wear, you've got to wear, like, a modesty pouch. And I went, oh, all right, you know, you'd be naked, but you've got this modesty pouch on. So I put it on in me and Alison and that were standing in, on, 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 on the set. We both had back robes on and that. And, um, and, uh, and uh, I'm... I'm not sure. I go, this is really, really uncomfortable. You know, going, what? And they're all setting up the shot. And the costume said, what's wrong? I go, it's really uncomfortable. This is she, she says, but it's it's sort of like industry standard. I went, well, you know, I am a Geordie, you know. And she went, and she said, and she said, she said, she said, uh, she said, um, come here, let's have a look. And I thought, oh, I'll just show them. So I opened my um, dressing gown. She goes, you've got it on back to front. <laughs> <laughs> and each one of my balls was hanging out each side of the thing. And it was like Dumbo, it was like Dumbo's face. And, like, and, and my balls were like the ears. And why wasn't that scene in the movie? Oh, that's what like an elephant can fly. No, that sounds amazing. Well, what happened was that the, the director had to stand everybody down to her. He was like, that laughing their heads off in, in the foot. And she's going, come on, everybody get the poor focus pull. I was going, I've got to leave. She goes, Dumbo was my favourite film as a kid. <laughs> You've ruined it. <laughs> well, I think that's one for the Me Too movement. Yeah. Dave Johnson <laughs> shows his veg to So that was my sort of um, sex scene. But it was, you know, it was all tastefully done. You know, we are pensioners. Sounds now. like it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, it sounds... <laughs> The sex wasn't like the sex wasn't like you see them on Game of Thrones, you know. It wasn't all that, you know. Yeah. It was very tastefully done. Potpourri, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just it. So, yeah. Dave, uh, you're going to start shooting, like you said, your first sequel soon, Fisherman's Friends. Um, can yeah. we expect full frontal nudity in that one, or perhaps hardcore sexual content? Will you show well, your fisherman friend? Will you show your fisherman's friend? Will you show your fisherman's friend? I'm getting this thing on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. How cool is that? That's cool. That is amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the storyline is that it ends up in Glastonbury. It's called Fisherman's Friends, The Road to Glastonbury. So I'm very looking forward to that because we're going to be filming it down in Port Isaac again in the cast of such good fun. I mean, the last one we did, we just had such a laugh. It was just like, oh, yeah, we've got to make a film as well. It was such fun. <laughs> I mean, I've been very lucky that all the films I've done, I've worked with Stevie Graham, and he's a fantastic guy. He was great in The Irishman. I've worked with... James Purefoy and Tuckman's Middleton and Davy Heyman and and sort of and in the Alison Steadman and all the people I've worked with have been really really cool. I've had such a good time and they've all you know when I'm I'm like a, a newcomer really. I mean I've had to learn sort of on on sort of like you know just on the job about filmmaking mm-hmm. because Ken works much different than anybody else. He's like you know it's a very small crew and it's very sort of top of the actor but when you go on these big commercial shoots it's like it's up. I've got to tell you a story I did I just did a small uh, phone is up and said you do this part in the new remake of um, Live Spirit you know that they've done you know? oh yes 
and um, which is coming out this year. And they said, they said, they said, look, they said, we'd really love you to do it. They said, it's not a massive big part. You just clean the garden. And I went, oh, yeah, I'll do it. It's a couple of days. So on the first day's shoot, we went down there. And you know Isla Fisher? You know Isla Fisher? She, um, she, she's... Um, um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Married, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Famous her own right, obviously. But, yeah. she, she's... she's 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 playing the lead, the wife, and, uh, and Leslie Mann's playing Elvira. And it was the first day of the shoot, so I so so basically it was the first day we had the first scene. So all the crew were new, everybody was set up, and, uh, and we did this um, shot. And and I'd I'd got um, Tom Hardy's boots and picky blinders because when I got them on, they had Tom Hardy's name, which is all in the costume. Oh, he wore these in picky blinders. So, so I had Tom Hardy's boots on, so I thought, this is pretty cool. So we were setting the shot, and I goes, and so then I hear got Tom Hardy's boots on, and I go, yeah, how about this? So I can't be responsible for any acting choices I make in the shot. And so the, the, this was the first shot of the film, and I went, okay, turning over, and action. And I just started, like, jumping up and down, and I ran across the field, and all come down. And I was shouting, it's not me, it's Tom Hardy! He's begging us to do it! He's begging us to do it! You're possessed. And, and you can see the exact official going, what's he doing? And, 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 and I had to cut, and I came back, and it was just a nice way of sort of calming everybody down on the first shoot. So I'm basically this sort of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning on the job, you know? I mean, I wouldn't have done that if it had been uh, the last day of the shoot and they were running out of light. <laughs> I don't think they would have laughed then. <laughs> okay, Dave, are you ready now to take your Vintage Geek Trivia Challenge? As oh, I hit you with three quiz questions on your chosen subject, Vintage right. Kids Television. Oh, God. Okay, come on. Then. Okay, you could totally be cheating now because you're not in the studio, so it's like... Wait, <laughs> Just Google, Google it. <laughs> okay, right. No, 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 no. I would never cheat. I've never cheated. So, question one. It took right. the combined talents of Mitzi, Little Bit, and Mr. Gipper to play which character in their own hit adventure show from 1964 to 1967. Is this American? Yes. No, is it? Yes, probably. I don't know. I don't think... Oh, did they film it? You're the quiz it, uh, Mitzi, okay. Little Bit, and Mr. Gipper. I think it was American. Oh God, um, Gipper, Gipper. That's kind of a that's kind of a bit of a clue there. Gipper, is it Mr. Mr. Ed? No, it's Flipper. It's Flipper. 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 All right. Oh God. Okay, that oh, was okay. Hold on. So I pressed that twice by mistake. I didn't mean to rub it in. Um, apparently, I learned that uh, Dolphin Trainer, uh, the Dolphin Trainer, would sometimes run an extension cord down to the Seaquarium so that the dolphins who acted in the show could actually watch it when it was broadcast. But so we knew what to do. So, sort of dangerous to run electrical cord. Yeah. You know, it's never worked out for me when I yeah. played television did, in the bar. Did have a couple of dolphins in Flipper? Three dolphins, all playing uh, Flipper. Okay. Um, I can't even say that the questions in my book are easier than this. Um, right, question number two. Name any... Th- <laughs> okay, this is a British one. Name any right. three kids' shows created by Small Films, Oliver Postgate and Peter Fermin. Ooh, 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 uh, ooh, ooh. Um, now it's um, Dave's Iver, question. Ivor the Engine. Ivor the Engine. Nog in the Nog. Nog in the Nog. And Bagpurse. Bagpurse. Yay. Gets two yeses. We would have also accepted the Mermaid's Pearls. Yeah, yeah. But, that, yeah. but I, I, I never saw that one. No, I, I just got a list. No, of no one there. did. No one saw. <laughs> no. Um, okay. Question number three. What is the name of the robot in Jerry Anderson's last black and white Super Mario Nation show, Fireball XL Five? 
That's very good. It's Robert. I wish I was a spaceman. The fastest, the fastest guy, guy alive. I fly around the universe in five bullets of five. We're out of space together. Brilliant, man. Oh, we're going to stop there. Okay, I was ready. So, can I just check here? You're going to give him Robbie the robot, which is from the planet, and, and not take well, a point away. Yeah. Oh, that really hurts. Yeah, gets, that really hurts. Yeah. Look, look, what's, the name, what's, the, what's the name of the monkey? Zuni the Loopy Lazoon. He wasn't a monkey. He was an alien. The monkey, yeah, you're getting mixed up with Supercar, because Mitch the monkey was in Supercar. Well, he looked like a monkey, didn't he? He, he looked, looked super, like a monkey. Like E.T., he looked super diseased. <laughs> yeah. Did you always think that E.T. had some horrible disease? Some, yeah, like he had mange There's no way I would touch that. Like his, <laughs> his fur is There's no way I'd let him put his glowing finger on me. Do you know what catchphrase was? What I should have done, but that was all right, two out of three. That's very good, that's very good. Why was E.T.'s finger so red? What? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't well, no, we're just talking about E.T.'s finger. Oh. We've lost him. We've lost him. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, do you remember when... Do you remember, like, the second time that I met you, I got super drunk and I kept calling um, your film I Daniel Craig and I was too drunk to notice <laughs> and you kept giggling and I didn't realise until I sobered up what I did but you were very kind about that and I was just wondering um, I know that you uh, you kind of enjoy sort of taking the piss out of uh, celebrities yourself and you had kind of an amusing encounter with uh, Steven Spielberg in a lift didn't you? No, no, it wasn't in a lift it was in, a, it was in the middle of the, um, of, of, of the hotel I got introduced to him he said to me, congratulations on your film, I Daniel Blake, it's terrific. So I said to him, <laughs> I didn't know what to say, I said to him, how's the DFG going? And he went, yeah, it's going really well, we're really pleased about it. And I said, said afterwards, I said, so, you know, because Ken Loach couldn't make a film like the DFG. And he went, I guess not, Ken's more political. And I went, no, he'd want a real giant in it. <laughs> and he looked at this and I went, and I went, and you can't get them. <laughs> and, he's like, and I said, I said, I mean, we used to have them years ago in the villages, but we had to get rid of them because they were stealing all the animal, all the farm animals, and all the good parts. <laughs> yeah, he's people going, what? Are you for real? Are you just an idiot? So, so I think he thought it was an idiot rather than anything else, you know. Or he believed you, and now he thinks giants are real. You never know. You might have influenced yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you sparked a whole like a <laughs> no, no, interesting no, I, sequel. I went, I went, <laughs> what I said was, you can't get him. And then I, and then I went, but of course you'd know that, wouldn't you? Because you probably tried for agents before you got Mark Ryland. <laughs> well, actually, Mark Rylance is a giant, and yeah. they can only reduce yeah. him in size with CGI to yeah. fit in his films. He's that's, a giant. That, like Ray that's absolutely true. Down. Yeah, absolutely. his big fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, what, what film, Ken, if you could do Ken, anything? Yeah, I've got a great story. Mark Rylance came up to Ken Loach, and he said, and this is, this is how... Such a great, a great sense of humour, Ken Loach. As he says to Ken Loach, he goes, um, "Last month, Ken, Daniel Day Lewis, and me, uh, Daniel came over to my house and we watched all your films back to back." <laughs> and Ken went, "Do you not want to kill yourself?" <laughs> <laughs> can, you can you imagine having them two watching your acting? Can you imagine them? Imagine the conversation you fly on the wall with them two, Mark Wellington now. And Daniel Day-Lewis. No, I think I'd be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave, thank you so much for well, taking time out of your film star schedule to chat with us. Cool, we really appreciate cool, it. Have come down. We'll, have, we'll have to meet up and have a beer one day, mate. That would be amazing. We'd love that. Yeah, okay. I'll get in touch.
So right now we're going to listen to John Barry's super cool spy theme from 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ah. <laughs> Music just gets better and better. So, uh, Fraser, you were telling us a, a really inappropriate story about toilets and, and urinals. <coughs> Why don't you uh, share it with everyone? I was. Everyone. It was. We were talking about the Critics Circle Award earlier. The, we, we, but we're both at the awards, you and I, and we didn't know we didn't know each other then, so we're both at the same awards. Um, Steve McQueen, the director, had won for Twelve Years a Slave. I think Best Director. And, uh, not I, the one that drove around the cars in San Francisco in Bullet. No, no, right, not okay. Him, no. Just, just, just to clarify that. The, cool, the cooler one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm standing, I'm standing at the urinals in the in this glorious in our tuxedos. Steve McQueen's next to me, the director. Are you there a lot? I am there a lot. Yeah, just yeah, hanging out, see so you can see. Um, I've had a few drinks. I happen to be standing in the same Sorry, urinal. in the urinal. You're having drinks in the yeah, urinal. Yeah, Is that... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, the old, yeah, the old cakes soak it all up. It's great. Um, so I'm standing there. I look at Not Steve McQueen. Detail. He's holding his award. I turn to him. I look down at his award and obviously his cock at the same time, by mistake, and say, that's very impressive. He looked at me like he wanted to punch <laughs> me square in the jaw, zipped up and ran away really fast. So that's my Steve McQueen award-winning story. Did you really announce it like you were doing a, a, a I, trailer voice? I, I genuinely... That's, uh, that's <laughs> in a impressive. Steve McQueen uh, goes to the toilet. It was a time of war. Steve McQueen had won an award. Yeah. It's like I'm watching a trailer in the cinema. It? It's amazing. That's very impressive. Mm. So you've upset quite a lot of uh, famous people over the years. Yeah, I'm not sure I can tell all those stories. <laughs> I'm very outspoken. See, whereas I'm here to make famous people happy. That's what I do. It's yeah. just different roles, yeah. different purpose. No, no, I'm only a producer just to annoy famous people. That's the only reason <laughs> I got into it. Just to put them in their place, basically. Uh. So many, so many uh, people expect kind of um, easy questions. I, I, I remember I was, it was on the junket for Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. You know, classic. That's, the, that's classic. the best one in the yeah. trilogy of two films. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. So, so Sarah Michelle Gellar, and she's telling a story about uh, when, she was, uh, when she was shooting The Grudge. The first, you know, bad grudge uh, remake. And she said, uh, and we went out after the... I'm not going to do the voice. I'm not like John. Do I can't it, just do it. it. <laughs> no. So I, I went out... No, I'm not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> so she said she, uh, she went out to town with her friends. They were, they were shooting in uh, Tokyo, I think. And uh, they found this very exclusive restaurant. And they were serving blowfish that, you know, you have to cut super carefully. Um, and uh, she said, and so I had a plate. It was so delicious. And, you know, I wasn't poisoned. So I like, took a, had an, another dish. And then I looked and I saw that it was like $200 a plate. And I thought, and I said, but look, I saw you got paid like $2 million for Scooby-Doo 2. Are you really worried about a few hundred dollars? And she really was not impressed. Wow. You know, they don't like talking about it. And, and have you kept up that relationship in the years since? And, yes. where, and where is she now? <laughs> yes, she continues to not reply to any of my Well, Freddie uh, Prince, letters her or... husband's not short of a few, Bobby, the Freddie Prince Jr. He inherited Freddie Prince Sr.'s vast wealth. Yeah, I, I did not know, you know that. that. Did you know that? Well, yeah. I, because his he father played Fred was, in Scooby Doo. He was uh, Chico and the Man, which was yeah. a classic TV series of the 1970s. And quite a prolific uh, producer as well. I uh, think he went, Freddie Prince Sr. went on to do a lot of producing. Anyway, she could afford a two hundred pound. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Instagram her right now and say that you can afford a two hundred pound plate of fish. You really can. You really can. Yeah. I mean, like, have four plates. Have five plates. Yeah. You know, buy one just to throw it in the bin. <laughs> yes, in front yeah. of just because I can. <laughs> I'm Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs>
So uh, there was uh, there was another time. Uh, you remember when uh, the Simpsons um, came to London years ago? I mean, it was um, like they're fictional. The, you know that, right? No, but the, the Simpsons okay. cast they, they oh, right. came okay. and they did some live uh, readings. Some uh, it was just like five. Well, years Well, I remember into I was with you and we met Dan Castellaneta at the opening of the Cato Gallery in Hampstead. Oh yes, and it was a life changing experience for the two of us because we got him to say, and this is going to be a really bad impression, but we got him to say, "Don't do it to my life." Yeah, over and life. over and over. Why, why did he do it as Yoda? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, Weird. but it was it was just magical. It was uh, it was like Homer was right there in front of us. We like drove him mad. I remember. I know that he doesn't do impressions anymore of Homer in public, and I think that's because of us. We probably, probably ruined it for everybody. I saw Matt. Um, Matt I'm not going to try his surname. Groaning, groaning, groaning. 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 So, groaning. groaning. so he was a. So I was at Comic Con a couple of years ago, and he's just standing by the Boingo Comics booth, the Simpsons Comics booth, and no one's paying a blind bit of attention to him so he ended up chatting to me for like 35 minutes we had a photo taken and nobody knew who he was and that just really upset me that's crazy standing at the booth I met him at this uh, I met him at this read through event and I got tickets for I was very excited to have these tickets and I went up to him and uh, I said I just wanted to say uh, you know thank you very much and uh, you know I was just I was going on and on and then I said uh, you know I would would have done anything for these tickets I would have traded my grandmother's kidneys and uh, and I said unfortunately she's dead but I would have had to you know I would have dug her up and I I felt like I I was like had a total out of body experience and um, I, I just really couldn't stop kind of a bit like now and uh, and he he started his gaze went away from my eyes, looking over my shoulder, and he kind of he kind of did this I don't know this thing with his face. It's called ignoring you. Yeah, well, no, yeah. His assistant came out <laughs> and said, "Matt, Matt, uh, we got to go and do the thing now." And he said, oh, "Okay." So he said goodbye and rushed away. So the next day, I managed to get tickets for the second day, and I got to him at the after party to apologise. And again, I, I've caught him. I've cornered him, and I'm apologising for the grandmother's kidney story by repeating the grandmother's kidney. Story. And again, he's looking over my shoulder and his eyes go wide. And the same assistant comes up and says, Matt, you know, um, th- there's a thing there. So uh, I hope you called her out for it. I hope you said, no, you said that yesterday. That's not. <laughs> no, I, I, I realize that I should probably never, ever speak no. to uh, Matt Greening again. You know, I, I'm not like easily third, starstruck. Third but the Simpsons, man. Yeah. You, no, you've got you to go and face up to it. You've got to go and meet him and interest him. He'll just be hanging out of the booth yeah. at San Diego. Just go see him. Maybe fine. <laughs> just pop along. He'll just be there. So let's hope we won't be too starstruck when our next guest, Patrick Savage, comes in. Let's just have a little bit more music and we'll see uh, Patrick after that. Fubar Radio presents Callum McSwiggan. The, the most beautiful person in existence. It's, it's Glenn Fussell. I once invited a guy over, and I specifically invited him over for sex. I was yeah. very honest and upfront yes, about why I, why I was inviting Which is him over. Core. It's very core. Turned out he was a, a Tory, and he came over and literally always ask that, just sat on my bed and talked about politics. There was no sex, and then he left, and I was like, I don't understand what's happened. I feel like I've been tricked. <laughs> that's, that's, what the, that's what the Tories do. <laughs> Anything for a vote. Anything, Anything for, for a, a vote. fucking vote. Yeah, don't let them trick you on Grindr. Poison to... Grindr. I mean, that's... <laughs> Harriet Rose. Will I Am is joining us on Fubar Radio right now. There's things that I've done before that I didn't release, like a piece of content that I did with Miley Cyrus that was heavy, and we decided not to put it out. What do you do with that kind of stuff? Do you hold it in a bank, like I might put this out one day, or is it like never again? Put it away. We won't see this again. For the Miley Cyrus one, we got rid of it. It was just too heavy. You just know, though, don't you? This one in particular, the Black Eyed Peas one, I know in my heart that it has to come out. Joey Page. 
I'm very excited to welcome highly suspect into the studio. Yeah, we have what we like to call pre-show poops. It's when you get really juiced up and then all of a sudden you have to poop right before the show. <laughs> Is that on your rider? We must have four vehicles <laughs> <laughs> available. We have pre-show. Four toilets backstage. Getting excited for the show definitely gets you it gets you pumped up. You're listening to Football Radio. 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 You're listening to Football Radio. Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on Football Radio. And Patrick Savage is here. Hello, Patrick. Marshall, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fine. It's great to be here. Now, I understand that you are going to uh, play your violin. You're going to play some tunes for us. We're going to see if we can guess what the tunes are. And you would like to do it now while your violin is warm. <laughs> I'm going to do it now. I, I, my idea was that, that you were going to try and stop me as soon as you guess what it is. I'm going to play a little... little the thing from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little filmy bits. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh. But no, little, 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 little filmy excerpts. The thing is about... Uh, Solo violin, nobody likes solo violin. Solo violin on the radio is probably a little bit like pulling teeth. No. So I think you'd be doing everyone no. a favor if you can stop me as soon as you can. I'm going to play three little things, and I've got a follow-up question to test your nerdiness. Okay, so whoever guesses it has the follow-up question. Should we do that? Okay, we can do it that way. All right. So I need, I need a film or a composer. Film or a composer, okay. Double points if you get both. But you, this one's going to be easy. Wow, this sounds really complicated. Give, give me a second. Give me a second. I'll set up. One second. Okay. Jaws. <laughs> do we, do we like, make a noise if we've got the answer? You, so go. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. go. You've got the machine, Marshall. That's cheating. That's right. You have to shout out I can actually in. get it wrong. And I can still say, <laughs> I can say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, that guy Dave from the movie, whatever. I See? love whatever. But if I did something like, like that, is that... No, no, I... <laughs> the, vi- the violin's getting cold. Yeah, it's yeah, my it's Tuesday it's takeover. I'm very confused. You're my co-host, Monkey, and don't forget it. <laughs> You're going to get this in about one second anyway. Fiddler on the Roof. It is Fiddler on the Roof. I was going to say, so here's the problem. Okay. Everything sounds like Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, it does. Is, like, is, is that or Schindler's List? Yeah. Know, is the next one Schindler's List? Schindler on the Roof. Do you know in America, I only found this out yesterday <laughs> doing some research, that was the number one film in 1971. That was the biggest box office hit of I that I did year. know that. I didn't make an <laughs> I knew that. I could tell you okay. were And that is, that is why you're a co-host and not the main host. <laughs> here is my, here's my follow-up question. Is that my, that's for me, then. It's for me. All right, so John Williams won his first Sorry, yes. Oscar for that film. For best... It wasn't for original score. For best, uh, best scoring adaptation and original song score. Hmm. Uh, so what film did he actually earn his best original music it's my it's my question. Oh, sorry, it's yeah. my I, I say E. T. Was it E. T.? It was not E. T. Oh, okay, you go. Shinzo's list. Uh I mean th- those he did win, yeah. but the first. The first one. The first one. Fraser gets a go. I've no idea. Fraser's got no idea. Can you give us a clue, like the year? Can you give us a clue? Can you give us the name? Because John Williams did every film in yeah. the seventies. I'll tell you what, it was Jaws. Huh. Ah. 
That's not That's really not a clue. Clear, technically. <laughs> yeah. Was it Jaws? <laughs> it was Jaws. Hey! Excuse me. Excuse me. I can Patrick, Patrick, do you do requests? Can you play the Jaws theme on the violin? Uh, <laughs> well, Jaws doesn't really have a theme. Two notes, right? <laughs> but how do you... Jaws! Yes. That's amazing. Thank Jaws you, on the roof. That, thank you, Patrick. That was completely from You just from said mind. you can't do it on the violin, and then you did it on yeah, the violin. Yeah. See, that's what off. we're here for, Patrick, to push you. To push <laughs> yeah. you. You're going to do things on the show you never realised you could I, do. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to be a bigger person afterwards. <laughs> so the next, the next one is, is easy to. Easy to? Uh, I suppose so I did get the first one right. You did get it right. I did, yeah, I, did, I, did, I, did. I did, I did. You know, eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Young Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. It is indeed Young Frankenstein. Wow. I should have let him play, but I really didn't want anyone today, else Marshall. to win. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was that close. Is, that fo- is there a follow-up question as well? There is a follow-up question. Peter uh, Boyle. Oh, by Mel the way. Mel Brooks. Did, oh, no, I should give you a chance. Did you know that that is also the score for the dramatic chipmunk meme? Huh. You know, when huh. You, you know the little chipmunk that turns around and looks shocked? Yeah. That music is from the Young Frankenstein by John Morris, so that... Does he he's get paid every time yeah, he's played? Which one came first? <laughs> What's a meme? <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> okay, okay, here it is. Um, so, what David Lynch film, also produced by an uncredited Mel Brooks? Elephant Man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Ah. Well, Sorry. Are you going to play it though? Oh, is that the question? That was the question. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Right. So. What do I win? What? Well, that's that. Does you know? You didn't even let him finish his question. Can, can I throw a geeky question back at Patrick? <laughs> In Young Frankenstein, who plays the blind man? Oh boy, uh, I know that. I know it, but I don't know with the microphone. Machine Hatman. Oh, it was correct. his birthday the other day. I know. I know. He's like a hundred now. Yeah, ninety. 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 Ninety, and retired. Super retired. What a shame. Him and Sean Connery. You know, they could make it like an old Codger movie. We should get them you back know, together. Old people yeah. always make old Codger films, and why can't they? Because they're that's old as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my only thought. I hadn't really prepared anything. No, that's that, that's. I, I apologise for getting that wrong. I should have known that. So, Patrick, what yeah, else have you got true. for Hold us? on, hold on. Don't get too comfortable. Okay, Marshall, this Gene. whole buzzer control is just going to your head now. It's getting ridiculous. Hackman Gene. I mean? Okay. <laughs> Here we go. No, keep going. Keep yeah, going. Keep Sorry. Going. Can, oh, can, no, no, no. He doesn't know it. Keep going. I can do you know? It. No, do you go on there. Keep going. Keep going. It's the Witches of Eastwick. Oh. It's indeed the Witches of Eastwick. The Witches of Eastwick. I haven't Eastwick. heard that for Very about good. 20 or no, years. No, no, I didn't mean so either. But it was it great was, to hear it live here brain. in the studio. Yeah. So I thought I had dementia. I'm actually quite pleased. I'm, it's I'm, a great soundtrack, that. Who wrote that? I, it was John Williams. Was it? It's always John Williams. I told you, every, every answer is John Williams. I always John think John Williams. Williams is a bit hacky and he sounds like the no, same stuff. No, he's a genius. Time. But like that. How dare you say that? Oh, come on. That's it, I'm turning your microphone down. It's all the same. If I knew which one of these buttons was yours, I'd. No, no, it's fine. You can, you're entitled to your opinion. So, is there a bonus question? There is a bonus question. Actually, you know what? At home, I came up with a fabulous bonus question and I thought it was too hard. No, no, go for oh, it. We like the hard ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the easy one was what instrument did Susan Sarandon play in the film? <laughs> Just <laughs> cherries. Wait, what film cherries. Are we talking about, I'm completely lost. <laughs> Which is Eastwick? Which is oh, Eastwick? Yeah. I got Cello. no idea. Yes. Yes. Which caught on fire? Yes. In quite a remarkable scene. Yeah. I forgot that happened. I remember, I remember the cherries. The cherries, yeah. But that's not a musical instrument. 
Sorry, was that the easy question? That was the easy question. Okay, so what's okay, the, the hard, hard one, one then? One. Yeah, come on. Then. The other one was about John Williams. Go on, then. Go on. The other one was, do you know what temp score is? Of course you know what temp score is. Temp score is the music which editors edit to. So when the, so my, my question was not about which is the which I'm only sort of mildly interested in. It was yeah, about Star Wars. definitely not going to get this. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of other films that were tempted into Star Wars that John Williams was listening to when he was composing. Uh, any ideas about any one of those films that went into Star Wars? Well, I'm going to make a guess, which is that a lot of the special effects and stuff were based on World War II sort of uh, uh, Spitfire action kind of stuff. So would it have been 633 Squadron or something like that? Well, that's, I reckon that's close enough to get the Battle of Britain by Ron Goodman. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Is, that kind of, is, that, is, that, is that actually the right answer, or is that yeah. a ballpark? No, that'll do. Is that, well, that's, <laughs> are we going to give... That'll do, Pigs. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I'm not getting anything for it, so what do I care? You're getting a you know. 4K TV. But I just but I, so I much sense. prefer to give you one of those. But yeah, but you can, you can put me down, Marshall, but I All sense right, a, degree, of that a no. degree of respect <laughs> in the room for the way that I answered that. I, I, I can impressed. feel it. Yeah, I honestly, that I was wasn't great. really listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was so in the spirit of it. I kind of want to hear the whole suite from Witches of Eastwick now. <laughs> it's, it is really good. It's beautiful. But I we'll never know now. Because <laughs> you just looked like you were about to guess it there, like, any second. Yeah. So I thought it was I there. It was it there. Was. It was out of the tip of your tongue. I watched it so much as a kid, that film. Probably, should, probably shouldn't have. I'm quite grateful you stopped me there. It's a difficult piece. Yeah. Okay, so... Patrick. Yes. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You are a respected concert violinist. You are a co-composer of and player on many a movie soundtrack. Uh, plus, uh, you're in the orchestra pit most nights on Hamilton in the West End. Clearly then, my first question has to be to you. Who would win in a fight between Batman and Darth Vader? Darth who Vader. would win in a fight between Batman and Darth Vader? Darth Vader. Do you think so? How Just, much, I, you know, how I much planning so. does Batman have? Now, Batman is always ready. I don't yeah. think anybody beats Batman, honestly. But he could do the neck thing and then it's over. Well, well I, I would say... Yeah, ba- but then Batman would have like some sort of you know, <laughs> magnetised thing to, like, to, to, you know... In my view, in my view it, it would be Batman because Darth Vader's just pretend and Batman's real. This is true. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was a trick question. I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Well, no, I, I stand corrected. But it is Darth Vader because he can get you at a distance. I mean, Batman's got expensive toys, but he, he does have no powers. And this where does true. he get those wonderful toys, yeah. Patrick? Where does he get those? <laughs> <laughs> but Batman, Batman is present day, and Star Wars is in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. So technically, Darth Vader's dead anyway, so he'd just win by default. But then Batman, you, you know, know, he, he could beat Superman. If he could beat Superman, he could beat Darth Vader, because Superman would beat... Uh, Batman. Sorry. Ba- in, Batman. In Batman versus Superman, did Batman win? Because I fell asleep about half no, through. I didn't watch it, but in the Dark Knight Returns, and he sort of he kind beats. of wins to a certain extent, then has a massive yeah. heart. Well, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's <laughs> generally how I'm going to get out was of it, this was conversation. Was it a win? Hitch <laughs> <laughs> fall down. No, that's a solid Darth Vader. Yeah. So uh, I, I've heard you play many times. We've heard you play just now. And uh, you're, you're very good. Everybody agree? Very good. Very good. Yes. Uh, honestly, I couldn't do better myself. Uh, I, I heard Ron on the comb once, and he was sensational. Uh, but you, Patrick, you're something else. Was it very easy to get that good, or did it take, uh, like, weeks of practice? Uh, weeks. Many weeks. I, I studied for hours on YouTube. No, I, They do was, have good tutorials there. They do. They, it, they YouTube, do. YouTube is amazing. I, 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 mean, I could spend 
I, I could spend my entire life learning skills which I'll never use. So aside from the violin, from what skills have you picked up from YouTube? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, none. But, but I've learned. I've, I, I, the, the resources are all there, and I've watched a lot of videos. But no, I've, 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 I learned I, pickling. <laughs> pickling. Actually, you know what? I, I actually learned pickling too. I have pickled, we have so much in common. I have pickled lemons from oh, YouTube. I'm sorry. We'll get your you need to see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> God, like Reg I learned how, learn how to play one song off of YouTube. What uh, on though? To propo- on the piano. On oh, the piano. To propo- I don't play it. I had to propose to my uh, now wife, and then I totally forgot how to play the song after that. What was, song? what was the song? It was uh, Bob Dylan, You Belong to Me. Is that that's sweet? Bit, that's, that's a bit really presumptuous, sweet. I But think. I changed yeah. it to Will You Marry Me. Uh, look, I'm Aww. sitting next to Fraser. But then I totally forgot, but I learned it on YouTube, because <laughs> I can't read music, so I learned it by just copying the fingers. You oh, know, wow. sitting next to you, I wouldn't have you for a romantic, but actually that's a really Darling, you can have thing. me anytime you want. <laughs> that is so, quite lovely. But how many, times, how, long, how many times did you have to watch the video? Oh, I lost count. Like, it was ridiculous. It was weeks and weeks of prep. I played it fairly flawlessly, and then if you asked me to do it now, I couldn't. Oh, my God. Just gone from my go. brain. <laughs> so, actually, how obsessed do you have to be to be as good as you are to become a concert violinist? Because I don't think I've got that sort of commitment. Is it the ten thousand hours thing? Have you heard of this? The ten, you have to do ten thousand hours of practice I've, to be good at anything. I've heard of that. I think there's a large element of bollocks in that number. You need ten thousand bollocks. To <laughs> wow, ten thousand banana fingers. Yeah. All right, behave. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, luckily, I'm. I think I've got quite a naturally obsessive personality, anyway. So. It, it, uh, it didn't seem crazy. And is there a piece of music that you haven't cracked yet, that you've determined to be able to play and you just haven't got to it yet? Uh, there's a lot that, that I've not got around to because I'm spending my days on YouTube trying to learn skills. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, but pickling, <laughs> yeah. that's a marketable skill. Yeah, yeah but do you know what? Do you know what? We, I did actually pickle those lemons and they had been sitting in the fridge uneaten for about a year and a half now. Like those pickles. <laughs> Sorry, but if they're pickled, do they need to be in the fridge? Well, I, I, I wondered uh, that. Because uh, they're pickled. You need to watch a YouTube video to find out. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's obviously the next... I think maybe <laughs> after you open the pickles. <laughs> after you open them, you have to refrigerate them. But if you made them yourself, you were present at the moment before it was... Of its birth. Of, yeah, when it was open. Well, exactly. And how do you know when it's opened? Well, there's a YouTube video on best before dates. <laughs> it's, it tells you how to date your pickles. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the hardest thing that you've ever had to play that you can actually play and do it now without the music with a blindfold yeah and no hands <laughs> well, with your feet I don't that's hard to say but, but when it comes to film stuff when it comes to film recordings they often they usually put the stuff in front of your eyes when you sit down and you play it uh, and it can be a little bit fiendish fortunately you don't remember it the next day but I imagine there's been some quite difficult stuff that's completely gone out of my head. What's the most exciting venue you've ever played? Like, like oh, this is a dream come true. Um, you got five. Yeah, you got, you got, you got yeah. five <laughs> seconds to answer. Go. Yeah, it's, cl- it's clearly here, isn't it? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, this is the ultimate. Yeah. See, yeah, I, I, I found that completely crazy that when you're playing on a, on a movie soundtrack that you will literally you'll go to the recording studio you'll sit down they'll put the music in front of you and that's the first time you've seen it is that true you that don't get true. to rehearse or anything no no that is absolutely true and the thing is about about that this country I don't know if I don't know how many people know that a lot of these big scores are done here a lot of the big uh, blockbuster scores come over to the UK to get scored because uh, we've got wonderful musicians here who can 
uh, sit down and play what's put in front of them. And that's quite a big deal. The, the, thing, the thing that bothers me is that actually you never find out who those people are because they're never in the credits. Mm. <gasps> that's shocking. And you that get, like, outrageous. you know, um, Mr. Pacino's driver and the craft services people credited, but not the musicians. You absolutely And the production do. babies. And, you know, I mean, all credit to the drivers. They've got to drive around and, you know, the cars... No, screw those guys. <laughs> screw the drivers. But you don't know... No, that gets you in trouble, well, I just Look at Harvey Weinstein. My, my family hate me because I make them sit and watch all the credits and I would stay the extra ten minutes to see every musician who's played on the piece of music because it's that hard and I respect that. Um, I, I, I would... <laughs> well, well, I appreciate well, it. well, well, well we've done. got your medal outside. And the award for best speech <laughs> goes to you. Thank you. <laughs> He's not going to get you comps to Hamilton, all right? Just leave it. <laughs> so when you're when you're playing on a movie soundtrack, what, what are some of the movie soundtracks that you've actually uh, contributed to? Let, let's give you credit now where credit is due. You mean played or written? Played. Played. Uh, Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's all gone. I think the last Fast and Furious film. You did some Elfman stuff, am I right in thinking that? No? Uh, yeah. Yes, the last... Uh, Dumbo? The big years, Dumbo. 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 Prince Charles? No, Dumbo. Okay. <laughs> There's a running theme on Dumbo today. <laughs> and, so more importantly, com- was <laughs> oh, composed, composed the human centipede, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Did you actually, actually watch the film to compose the music for it? Because it's quite a troubling film. It is a troubling film. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are some scenes which I could never watch. There are, some, there are some scenes which I watch through, through with, with fingers in front of my eyes, which I'm showing you now on the radio, because that's... Is that the bit, in the, film, is that the bit <laughs> in the film where there's just no music? It just stops? But you, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> <again>. crying. It's <laughs> <laughs> screaming. But you know, you know in slamming. horror films, uh, th- 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 there's some particular kinds of horror that, that get to you more than others. I, sure. can't, I can't watch finger things. Yeah. There's a scene in Black Swan where she has some kind of vision with her fingernail. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. couldn't Body watch horror that. stuff, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yes, the fly—that's a good fly. Is a, yeah. The that's ultimate really, body horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the human centipede was fine. One or two scenes I never watched. I mean, it's a terrible concept. Like, it's a horrible concept. The whole thing is. Like, yeah, how do you come up with a tune when you see? Well, here's a scene in which you know a man's lips are. <laughs> you know, sewn to the anus of the. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, I've got such a beautiful tune for that. It's like, you know, how do you come up with something that's appropriate for that? Um, chariots, well, uh, chariots of fire, right? <laughs> yeah. <just> slip <laughs> luckily, luckily, they didn't want any tunes. They, 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 they wanted one kind of painful noise that goes from the beginning to the end, and that we could give them. I can. So did you just go? <laughs> she was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> ouch. <laughs> And a violin. <laughs> but everything works with the Benny Hill music. But Yeah, I'm man. Sorry, so what made you want to get into this particular uh, sphere of being a musician? I mean, particularly film music. Was, there, was it growing up with great scores, some of which we play today? I think it was E.T. Really? I think it was probably E.T., which I would have been four or five. And that was a particularly memorable film because I didn't know we were going. And my dad took me to the cinema, and that was, uh, it, it was obviously too exciting a thing to actually be going to a film. And he told me he was buying tickets for the next day. And and when we actually went into the cinema, I was so excited about that fact on its own that it was already one of the greatest things that I could imagine. And that music actually stuck with me. Bizarre. It is a great score. I, I mean, obviously you've got five, but it really stuck with me. Everyone knows the main theme, but uh, I play quite uh, often the the bicycle chase and the end credits theme. It's yeah. just amazing so piece of music. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. So it was that, probably. 
Follow-up question to that. You know when they go up in the air, um, why do they keep pedalling? Because they're shitting themselves. They're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm 200 I mean, foot up in the air. <laughs> because it's, it's E.T.'s mind powers or his you know, alien powers that's, that's got them, and yeah. yet they're pedalling away Yeah, but that's showing faith in his powers. It's all about faith. That's what the movie's about, Marshall. Is it? And what's that got to do with pedalling? Well, if you stop pedalling, you don't believe in it. I don't know. I feel like you are. <laughs> that just sounds like bullshit to me. I mean, that's, oh. I asked an incredibly stupid question, but that doesn't seem like even a close to the answer. I feel like the first time you take off and fly on a bike, you don't sort of experiment with what's going on. Yeah, I wouldn't stop pedaling. Yeah. Just for yeah. safety. You wouldn't see me okay. stop pedaling, mate. Not a chance. I would shit myself. Yeah. When it went against the yeah. sun, you would see a lot more than yeah, just, just a trail. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you compose uh, uh, with a partner, um, Holic Spies. Uh, yeah. He's based in France. Yes. So how do you do that? Do you do different bits of music each? Do you do a note each? You kind of send it backwards and forwards? A little bit. We, we send it backwards and forwards. And sometimes he starts a cue if I feel like, well, if, if it seems like it's his kind of thing, a little bit more than mine. Uh, but we have the same system. And we, we could be working in the same office, except his happens to be in the wilderness in the middle of France. And mine happens to be in Wandsworth. Do you have similar? Uh, do you have similar voices musically, or is it too? Is it clashing? I feel styles? like. Well, it's uh, not clashing. Maybe, maybe it's one stage. Yes, because I mean, his he comes from a sort of DJ background and a producer, and he's got this incredible sort of imagination for sound. Um, and I'm from where I'm from, but we're kind of a band. I mean, it's, right. we we both write music together, and it's music we wouldn't do on our own. Uh, so no not really anymore okay so Patrick uh, your chosen subject for the Vintage Geek Quiz is The Simpsons now right. I do have a Simpsons chapter in my book but I didn't you know you've all got copies of the book so I'm ready to ask those no, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine <laughs> so I got three new very simple because actually his questions were quite hard so it's like let's, let's but, go but you know everything about Phil I couldn't give you easy questions no I know when I got the answers in front of me mm. for sure okay so question one mm. as finally revealed in the season 16 episode Homer and Ned's Hail Mary Pass what is comic book guy's real name what is comic book guy's real name comic book guy's real well, that, that's a question that would be really easy if you if knew I the answer, the answer. Yeah. does anybody know? Okay, no, uh, no, I, I could give you the first name if that might help. Does anybody want to? Does anybody know? It? I didn't even know we knew it. Is it something like John Smith? I no, know his first name is Jeff. First name, Jeff. Oh, That's Jeff sad. Albertson. Jeff Albertson. Best question I, ever. I never ever heard that ever. Well, now, yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's not that <laughs> I'm myself and thinking, well, of course, it's Jeff, Jeff Albertson. Albertson. Jeff Patrick, Albertson. are you ever going to forget that now? I never will. I remember Until being I so really excited when he said his name <laughs> in that episode. It was like, it was life changing. Is it meant to mean something or is it just a random name? It's just a random name. Oh, okay. Well, all names are random. Thought, so, no, but I thought it was supposed to be clever. Like, but, oh, okay. But that's odd. That's, that's odd. Like, I mean,. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just the answer. You just brought the mood down, man. I did. Man. You I just killed it. it. Right, let's, let's move on. Let's move. Okay, hold on. Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on Fubar Radio. Yeah, shut up. It's my name. Okay. <laughs> right, question number two. Paul and Linda McCartney agreed to guest star on the season, season seven episode, Lisa the Vegetarian, mm. on what condition? Uh, was it that uh, they um, plug her sausages? 
They sac- they sacrificed a horse? No? Okay. I have no idea, but how do you plug a sausage? <laughs> your banana <laughs> fingers. Your banana fingers. Ask Ray Ariosen. Actually, their condition, yeah. their condition for appearing um, on the show was that Lisa, who becomes a vegetarian in the episode, was that she would remain a vegetarian for the entire run of the show, that she wouldn't just like go back to being a meat eater after. They can go back. Thereby, they can go back. Linda's not paying attention now. They can no, go back on that. Condemning Lisa it, yeah. to meatless decades decades of meatlessness oh my god well she's been 10 for like 100 years so there's worse things happening <laughs> that's for her. because she doesn't eat meat yeah okay. and she's a, in real life she's a big champion of your book marshall she is oh she is. no i love her that was amazing nice segue. yardley smith yeah she's she's uh she's great she's done like two uh quizzes already online so i'm going to create a quiz about her for her to try and answer so, you know, we'll see. But apparently I ask questions that are impossible to answer, so she probably won't know anything about herself either. Okay, question <laughs> number three. Okay, um, who are Poonam, Sashi, Priya, Uma, Anoop, Sandeep, Nabendu, and Geet? Apu's kids. Yes, they are. Yeah. The Nahasapima Petalon octoplets. Yes. The result, Whoa, the result of fertility drugs slipped into Manjula's breakfast squishy by her husband. <laughs> <laughs> and so squishy. what happens now that, you know, because Hank said he's not going to voice Apu anymore, do those characters just disappear from the show completely? Well, presumably. Usually when a, when an actor kind of uh, dies, uh, yeah. they don't bring the characters back. Lisa's going to eat him. That's going to oh. be the payoff. So, so is there no Quickie Mart anymore? I um I haven't seen the last few episodes, so I, don't I haven't know. seen the last fifteen years. So um yeah, <laughs> so I, I I'm not sure, but I, I think that he's just made that decision yeah. now, which means that there are they probably recorded uh, yeah know, he said he's probably, yeah. several episodes to go. I'm going to miss Apu. I miss him too. Hmm. Well, Patrick, thank you very much for coming on and for um, plucking for us and for <laughs> your musical knowledge. Uh, thank you very much. Let's give Patrick a round. Hey, thank you for having me. Be brilliant. Now let's listen to some music. So that was, what is it, Alexander Desplat? Uh, Desplat? How, how do you pronounce his name? Does anybody know? That was I the can Lobby spell boy. it, but I don't have to pronounce I'm it. I'm assuming Desplat is better than Desplat. From the Grand Budapest <laughs> Hotel. So, uh... So, yes, we've got, a, we've got one quiz left, I think. Yeah, well, Marshall, Marshall, listen, you've been asking us questions all day, and you are the quiz master. You've got a fantastic book called Vintage Geek. Vintage Geek. With a thousand, a thousand amazing questions, including 50 from noted celebrities from around the world. Like, like who? Like well, who? like Mark Hamill. Mark like Hamill. John Carpenter. Uh, like me. Yes. Uh, uh, that's the, the Sorry, worst you said, question. No, you, you said celebrity. You right? with that Yeah, one. I know, I know, I know. Let, so now George Takei. George Takei. Yeah. John Carpenter. Did nice. you say that? No. Okay. So it's now time for, for, to turn the high-powered finger of perception back in your own direction. How good are you? We're about to find out. So now I'm going to ask you three questions. Now, what was your chosen subject? See, I thought that uh, we'd have run out of time by this, and yeah. I wouldn't have to. But yeah. I, I said... Uh, Tales of time travel. Well, here we go. I've got three. You asked me to do five, but I've got three, so I'm going to okay, start uh, now. Just hold, just hold on a second. Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on Fubar Radio. Unbe- unbelievable. Uh, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, so here goes. Now, listen, you're not allowed to miss qu- answer with a button here. I'm not yeah. going to have that. Sure Question that. number one from the movie Planet of the Apes, one that's been very dear to us for many years. Whose theory of time travel is cited in the original movie? And in what other original apes movie do we get to meet the scientists involved? 
I got no idea. Okay, no it's idea. Dr. Otto Hasslein, who believes the chimpanzee hero, Cyril Cornelius, <laughs> must be killed in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, played by Eric Braden. Yeah, I, I, honestly. Good old Eric Braden. Question two. Now, we've learnt something today. We've learnt that actually. Ray Harrahausen should have made the time machine and not George Pell. And this question is about the 1960 time machine. Oh, she movie. was here answering these questions. So here we go. Uh, we know that Rod Taylor played the pioneering time traveller, one H. George Wells, in uh, in the movie. Yes. Um, but what does the movie have in common with the classic TV show Mr. Ed that Dave Johns mentioned just before? And I'll give you I'll give you enough time to think this through. They used, they used to stick him with a pin to make him act. <laughs> no, I'm going to sing the, the song while you think it over. That's the time you. Okay, got to what get does Mister Ed have in common with, with the, the time, time machine. machine? Yeah. So, do you remember the thing? Yes. Can you sing it? I can sing that. I don't know the answer. Well, let's it? sing it together. Okay. Do? Okay. A, a horse, horse is a horse, of course, of course. So no one can tell the horse, of course. Yes, of course. You know that horse is the famous Mister Ed. Exactly. Time uh, up now. What's the answer? Well, I was singing. I, I, uh, uh, I, the answer right. is the answer is the guy that does the voice for Mister. Um, uh, it's actually <laughs> Alan Young. Alan Young played Wilbur Post in that show, uh. which ran an incredible six seasons. And he's also all right. George's just take on a second. Tuesday takeover with Marshall Julius on Fubar Radio. <laughs> okay, so let, let's just say, let's just say, okay, right, sorry. Um, and we're going to move over now. And it's also been mentioned, the answer's been mentioned tonight. So on the subject of H.G. Wells. Tonight? What does Herbert George and Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise have in common? You must know this. If you don't get this, I don't know if we can talk. They have pickled lemons. And the answers have been given tonight by one of your guests already. What does Captain Kirk and H.G. Wells what have, in, have common? in common? Time travel? Yes, but it's uh, that's not the answer. Both their toupees are made from uh, Mr. Ed. They all have banana fingers. I'll give you a clue, uh, because I'm being nice here. There's a director that's been involved with both those people. Nicholas Mayer directed... Give yourself a ping. ping. That's right. Oh, he directed... Thank God. Time after time. My favourite time travel story. Exactly. He also saved the Star Trek franchise with uh, Star Trek 2, Star Trek 4, and Star Trek 6. Uh, but let's stick with Star Trek Wrath of Khan for your bonus question. Bonus and it all hangs on this. Bonus what is... question. What is the best quote from Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan? Khan! Yeah, you got it. I mean, I would have given you the needs of the many outweigh whatever, but Khan, okay. it has to be. Nah, well done, Marshall. Hey. hey, see, that's me giving myself ticks, but that's uh, very <laughs> generous. And you know, I actually think that we have a little bit of time left. Uh, it's pointed for... out to me today that Boris Johnson looks like a Morlock from the uh, <laughs> from the time machine, and now I can't unsee it. No, I can't unsee it either. What a great movie that is! It, it is, is a, a great tremendous movie. film. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, listeners, please go and see it now. It's only been out seventy years, so yeah. you should better catch it somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, okay, we have. Uh, we have some Batman questions for you, uh, Fraser. Yeah, 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 you've got Fraser. a few minutes, and you think this you're is just going to be cruel, though. So, okay, you chose you chose Batman. I you did. started off by saying you wanted to do all of comics. Yeah, all but of comics since the beginning all of time. Of comics, which I thought was a little broad, even broader than uh, Ron's there the subject. But unfortunately, um, we're out of time. So. Yeah. So, in <laughs> 1988, yep. DC Comics invited fans to call in and the vote. The death of Robin. The death of Robin. Oh, that's impressive. The 10,000 votes were cast. Do you know um, kind of what the margin was for the kind I of... I don't know what the margin was. I know it. I know because it was Jason Todd and everyone hated guess? him. 8,000. 
28 votes. Uh, to oh, is that always in it? It was that was the oh, difference. Right. And they made a fortune because it was a premium number, so they made a small fortune. On that. Yeah, they did. Do you know yeah. how he was killed? Yeah, he was blown up by the Joker. Blown up by the Joker. The but didn't he like come back? As He's now the Red Hood. He came back twenty odd years later. So actually, he didn't die at all. No, he was so also, he was also a redhead. It was bullshit. He was also a redhead who dyed his hair uh, black because people expected Robin to have black hair. There well, there go. you go. Okay, impressive. Uh, Most question, impressive. Oh, so uh, actually. Sorry about that. Yeah, well, sorry. On you, you get three out of three at the moment. <laughs> Question number two: <laughs> Who wrote and illustrated the hugely influential 1988 one-shot graphic novel Batman: The Killing Joke? Adam Moore. And who illustrated it? Uh, Brian Boland. Brian Boland. Even I could have got that. Yeah, yeah. Very it's good. I've got a signed copy. Yeah. Okay. Good. Question number three: Held by powerful magnets onto a floating ocean buoy. Now that's boy like Robin, like a boy. B U O Y. Okay. You know, it's actually pronounced buoy. It's not pronounced buoy. It's pronounced boy in England. In America, it's my name buoy. is David Boy. Okay, but it's, yeah, so it's, it's a, we're in England now. I know you I can't know, use magnets that. to attach someone to a boy no. unless I suppose they've got like metal on. Okay, no, let's. Yeah, yeah, so, held by powerful off. magnets onto a floating ocean buoy in Batman's Campus Christmas 1966 feature how do the Cape Crusader and Robin the Boy Wonder survive the final torpedo that washes towards them with deadly urgency I wish I remembered I remember the scene uh, bat oil <laughs> they worm their way out <laughs> no. as the sequence uh, it, it cuts from there's the sound of an explosion and then they're, they're away on their, on their bat boat and uh, Robin says, gosh, Batman, the nobility of the almost human purpose. Oh. And Batman says, true, Robin, it was noble of that animal to hurl himself yes. into the path of that final torpedo. Suicidal dolphin. And the best quote from Batman, the 1966 movie, there's no question, there's only one. Some days you just, you just can't, can't get, get rid, rid of, of the bomb. bomb. By the way, Dibs on Suicidal Dolphin is a band name. I'm taking that now. <laughs> well... All that remains is for me to thank my guests. Uh, thanks to John Walsh, to Dave Johns and Patrick Savage, plus my cracking co-hosts, Fraser Brown and Ron Fogelman, for taking the time to help me take over this Tuesday here at FUBAR. And uh, for more of my nonsense, you can always find me on Twitter at Marshall Julius by Vintage Geek. Uh, let's end then uh, with one final fantastic track, Enterprising Young Men by Michael Caccino from 2009's Star Trek Reboot. You've been listening to a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com.